out there, everybody. It's Movie Geeks United, one of our favorite shows to do every year. Tonight's the night where we reveal our favorite films from the previous year. Uh, so, favorite films of 2017, that's tonight's show. And it's always a packed show of discussion. We're obviously talking about, at the very least, 30 movies. So, uh, we should get started right away. Let's waste no time. Yes. Yeah, okay, that's good. That's good. I like that plan. <laughs> okay. Uh, who wants to go first? <laughs> so let's spend 15 minutes trying to decide who goes first. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I'll just go first. How's that? I mean, how, is there anyone have a problem with that? Or? No, go ahead. That's good. All right. All right. Should I just, like, name the movie and give, like, like a, a, a like third grader's interpretation of the film? Does that sound good? All right. Good. We expect right. nothing left. Number 10, The Shape of Water. Um, mm-hmm. I will just go. I just I just wanted to give Del Toro a shout-out this year because I haven't in years past, probably since, um, like, I guess the last Hellboy movie or whatever. But I just felt this sort of combined everything that I like about him. Um, he sort of, I, I've come to the conclusion, has picked up where Tim Burton sort of left off as sort of the um, valid Victorian of misfits in cinema. Um, he just seems to understand something about the outsiderness of people and things, and he, he captures that so beautifully in this movie, a movie that I guess we're supposed to be, I know we've talked about it, and it, it, the movie may be lifted from another movie, um, but that wasn't going to stop me. I'm, I'm, I'm sure plagiarism be damned. Um, I just really like his take on basically what would have been his creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, I think there's some very fine performances in it. Um, Sally Hawkins, Richard Jenkins, um, Michael Shannon, who's just, Michael Shannon's just on fire lately. Um, mm. just, I mean, he, he just don't, well, I don't, I and, don't he, and he's particularly, he's particularly vile in this movie, like surprisingly oh, vile. Oh, he's, he's, he, I mean, he's very, uh, very vile in this movie. Um, but I just, I like the like Octavia Spencer, I can't forget her because I think she's a vital part of the movie as well. But I just and, and I, we can't. I don't think I think we would be in a year of creature performances that I I think are becoming more accepted. I'm talking about Doug Jones and then obviously Andy Serkis in um, the War for the Planet of the Apes, obviously um, as Caesar. I, I think that that's that his Doug Jones' performance is very important too as as the Gilman. Um, but I just think this is a, a I don't think any other filmmaker in recent memory has made being a freak or a misfit as appealing as Del Toro and the, the, uh, the, the other need for acceptance to belong, to communicate, to be with someone. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't say I think The Shape of Water is probably the most romantic movie of the year. I know that sounds freakish to say, but it really is. The desire to be wanted and to be loved. I, as a film, it just permeates with that. Um, and I even think that's true with this Richard Jenkins, um, the sub-story with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't you, that scene in that diner at the restaurant, don't you just, aren't you just sure. I mean, you're questioning that. I mean, I just, I mean, you're just crushed by that. So I, I think it's just something that gets to Del Toro's, um, he has a heart, he's not just, he's a fanboy in one sense, but in the other sense, he has like, he's a, he is an old-fashioned romantic. And I, and I think that, that comes across in this film. No, not so much in the, what is it, the Crimson Peak, or especially in our Pacific Rim, but certainly this is, I think, his strongest film since Pan's Labyrinth. Um, mm. 
certainly. And I and I don't get me wrong, I like the other films that I just mentioned, but they're not they're 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 different they're a different side of Del Toro. I think those more embrace his fanboyish um, tendencies, which is fine. That's wonderful. Um, that's great. I think those are very very important things. Well, I think The Shape of Water really speaks to something um, that that is that we have in this country. So I, I really just wanted to really give a shout out this year to him. Well, that's good. You know, uh, it, it's its stock has really risen <laughs> in the past month, man. And uh, we, we uh, you know, I'm sure Dean agrees, we could be looking at it like a Shape of Water Oscars. Yeah. Uh, it's, a pos- it's a possibility. Uh, and and, and on, on one side of the coin, uh, I like the movie. I think it's a good movie. And, and it would actually give Dean something that he wants, which is a best picture winner that is fronted by a female mm. uh yeah you know so uh, that's at least one constellation for you dude uh and I, I know you thought the movie was okay as well but I, I, what i want to point out too is the fact that um and it comes from his indie roots and he's always been able to do this how del toro can get every cent on the screen uh because uh, shape of water is a 19 million dollar movie i think and mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, it, it's got great production value. Uh, I mean, it, it, it really does. It's evo- evocative of a different time uh, yeah. in, in every respect. Um, so I, I, I really admire that about the art of it. And you know, Del Toro's art is beyond um, question. I mean, has been throughout his career, his his, his imagination and what he can do with it. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Good, good on you. I think it'll be a big year for Shape of Water, though, in the Oscars. Oh yeah, well, I mean, it's it's beautifully made and uh, hmm. and uh, it's great to look at and everything. Uh, and uh, certainly, I mean, you know, Hawkins and Jenkins are are fantastic in it. That one scene that they have together, where she's trying to communicate to him mm-hmm. what, what the monster means to her. Uh, and uh, uh, and he's like, ah, you're hurting me, <laughs> you know, and, and everything. But I love that scene. That that was just it's a beautiful scene. I agree, Dean. Per- that's a great. You really, I think you actually that scene may be the perfect encapsulation of the whole movie. Yeah, uh, that's a really good, good, really great point on your part. Really, really good. Uh, it's uh, that's 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 the scene that I think gets people, and. Uh, 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 I, I understand it. I understand the appeal of the movie, and uh, 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 I appreciate it. So it's not in my top twenty-five, though. <laughs> no, that's and Dean, Dean, and Dean, can I say something? I would understand it because I there's another movie that we'll talk about later on that I could you could you I could have even not included this. You know, when you realize what you'll see what it is, but you, I mean, there's another. You know. It wasn't originally going to be in my top ten. I mean, I did see a lot. You know, when you break down the when you go actually, when you sit. I don't know if you guys are like this, but there actually is a lot of great stuff to to pick from. There is. Um, so it is. It really is. So I can understand being you saying it's not in your top twenty-five. I completely understand that. I mean, I get that completely. I mean, there were totally. a lot, there were a lot of good movies this year. I mean, I agree there were a lot of good movies this year, but I had a hard time filling out a top ten. Like uh, for me, like a top ten should be. These I will have absolutely no reservations about returning to, and and they will reap rewards for me upon further viewing. Mm. Uh, so so it it was a challenge like a top ten, but I, I could fill up a lot of movies that I liked that I appreciated. Right, sure, sure. <clears throat> um, 
All right. Uh, uh, so, so Dean, you'll have the last word. So okay. that's it tonight. So you can spend four hours talking about your number one. Uh, <laughs> so I'll go ahead and uh, do my number ten. My number ten is City of Ghosts, which is the documentary from the director of Cartel Land, and Ooh. it's about um, it's about uh, in, embedded kind of civilian journalists uh, in Raqqa when ISIS. Uh, was born and uh, infiltrated Raqqa, overtook the city of Raqqa, from which they spread out all over the world, unfortunately. There were a group of citizens, um, young people mostly, who were very interested in media, and one of them had a camera, blah, 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 and they took it upon themselves to start documenting this insurgency uh, that would soon touch the entire world. Um, so we see their their footage um, of the atrocities that are taking place and, and their graphic. I mean, it, at times it's almost like a, a smut film almost because, uh, I mean, heads on, heads on fence posts and all of this kind of stuff, the, the just horrific carnage caused by, uh, by, by ISIS and what it did to that community. And um, they are determined... Um, to share this news with the world, what's happening in Raqqa. Mm. And soon it, become, it becomes something more global. And so these journalists, some are still embedded in Raqqa. It's a group called the Raqqa. Um, Raqqa is being slaughtered silently. That's the name of their citizen journalism group. There's still a handful of people in Raqqa that are working on it and shooting footage secretly from the front lines, trying not to get caught. But uh, the main characters, I mean, they've had to move to Berlin and to Turkey and, you know, they're on the run and they know that there's a price on their head at every corner, especially as ISIS plots unravel in places like the UK and America. You know, there's no safe haven for them because ISIS knows how to use the media. So they're, they're dealing with, these are, citizen journalists that are using the media to get the news out, but they're also battling with ISIS, not only in terms of around every corner someone could kill them, but in terms mm -hmm. of ISIS becoming more media savvy themselves with propaganda and having to combat that. Mm -hmm. um, and several members of their families are killed because of what they are doing. So it's, um, you know, people are talking a lot about journalism this year. Uh, and rightfully so, because it's under attack. Mm -hmm. But I, I cannot think of a more extreme uh, example of the importance of journalism than what these guys are doing. Uh, so that's the value of the film. Another major value of the film is the fact that it allows you to spend time in the company of uh, uh, people from a different ethnicity, from a different part of the world, that all we hear about is people getting slaughtered and ex the bombs exploding and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and you really see that they are not unlike us. I mean, mm, they, and right. that seems so, sim it seems so simplistic to say, but it is so important because it's so easy for that to get lost, mm. that shared humanity. I mean, these journalists, they, they want to be married. They want to have kids. They do normal things. They laugh together. They have a snowball fight uh, at one point during the movie. And you really do start to feel uh, um, 
simpatico with them, mm. and it it makes it makes the 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 risks that they're taking that they are literally not safe anywhere uh, right. more harrowing. So mm. I I thought it was a I think it's an important documentary, a valuable one, and uh, a movie that's filled with uh, humanity uh, and a lot of great information. Uh, I mean, if you if you really want to get a sense of, of the region and where this started and how it's impacted the character of the region and the, the people, uh, it's, it's a crucial, it's a crucial film. I think. Mm. I have to check it out. No, I definitely need to check that out. Okay. Uh, my number 10 is, uh, is, uh, kind of the beginning of a trip around the world. I think my top 10 is kind of, uh, Kind of a, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, when I go through all the movies, I, I feel like wow, it's the movies really took me around the world this year uh, in in a really great way. And um, the first two movies on my top ten list uh, do that really well. The first one is uh, number ten on my list is Columbus, which is the debut movie from Cognata. Uh, the uh, Asian American filmmaker uh, who uh, um, I guess was more of a YouTube sensation before the uh, this film came out, uh, but uh, this is a magnificent uh, looking movie, uh, so meticulously directed, uh, with a sense of space and. Uh, you know, it, the the movie is all about inhabiting spaces. Uh, it's uh, about a um, young girl work, working in uh, living in this town of Columbus, Indiana, which is this mecca for uh, architecture uh, enthusiasts because it happens to be the place where a lot of 20th century architecture. Uh, was is placed uh, so the film is filled with uh, beautiful modernist uh, spaces uh, uh, that are just you know you just uh, you just want to eat it up it's it's so beautiful to look at um, Haley Lou Richardson plays a uh, young woman who uh, strikes up a friendship with a Korean man who is visiting the town uh, because his father is sick in the hospital uh, and uh, his father is an architecture uh, 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 is an architect himself and um, uh, that's why he's in town to to give a talk and he collapses um, and uh, his uh, assistant and lover Parker Posey um uh, uh is taking care of him uh this uh friendship that develops between Richardson and John Cho uh, uh is a, a very um very tentative it's not a romantic relationship it's a it's a uh it's a deep friendship a kinship that uh, develops between them but what I really love about it uh, is just the look of it. Uh, 
I love that it introduced me to the town of Columbus, Indiana, uh, which I had never heard of before. I'm a huge architecture nut, specifically this type of architecture. Um, and uh, because of that uh, alone, just because of the look of it and the location of it alone, that was enough for me to put it in the top ten. Uh, and I, I think it's uh, just a wonderful movie. It really, really transports you to this place. Uh, it's uh, it's really, really something else. Uh, it's a little slow, I would say, for maybe for some people, but um, but for me, I loved every second of it. So the movie is called Columbus, and it's by Cognata. That's that's a, that's yeah. a really ringing endorsement. Um, I, I really can't wait to watch it. It's it's yeah, it's, it's, a good, it's a really good movie. The uh, and you said he was a, he was a YouTube sensation prior to this. I think so. I think so. I haven't. Uh, that's done. so weird because because this is the opposite of like what you think of from a YouTube. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yes, it's, true. It's, well, it's, it's very true. patient. You know, it's very patient, it's kind of static, and it allows you to really enjoy, just like you said, the space that they're contained within, you know, the, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's, it's is great, the, great movie. Is is the movie available on demand by any chance? It is, it is, it is by okay. now, so. Good, okay, because it's got like a limited, I mean, very limited um, release, like, I mean, it was you, know, you don't have to break zero. the law like us, Jerry, if you want to see it. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I've been wanting to see it because I've been looking for it. And then I read an article, or I think we talked about it on the show a couple of weeks ago, um, that it was it was going to bypass Netflix for a while. He wasn't going to have it go to Netflix immediately. Um, so, which is kind of smart in one sense because if it gets to Netflix, it will just get lost with every with all the other movies that they buy. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a big problem with Netflix and even Amazon. Movies just get lost on there. I mean. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice to see it on a big screen, though. It really would. Yeah. It would. It would be a, a great big screen movie for sure. Uh, uh, yeah, I wish. Wish I could say that I'd seen it on the big screen. Beautiful photography by Alicia Christian, a, a female uh, cinematographer. So we need more female cinematographers. Um, but uh, yeah, what a what a we, wonderful we might movie. have one nominated this year, which will be good. Yes, with Rachel Morrison. Yeah. Yes. Okay, Jerry, you're number nine. My number nine. Wow, we're already there. Okay, except for nine comes before ten. Okay, I'm running something with you. This is awesome. Okay. Um, so my number nine is um, a movie that I is our fellow movie geeks united, our home video guy Adams. I think number one, and that would be Brad Status. Mm. Is my number nine. Um, I was really kind of blown away by this movie. I didn't know much about it. I didn't even know at the time that Mike White. Um, so I was kind of really taken by it. I think there's something to be said for Ben Stiller when he's good. He's very good. He's a very good player in particular. He can use all his what are all his nervous tics that can kind of annoy you in the more popular films. But when he uses them in these kind of movies where he's playing that very regretful, very angry, very bitter. Um, old uh, middle-aged character who feels like his life is not where it should be, um, specifically something like Greenberg or even another Noah Baumbach movie. Um, while we're young, he, he really comes through. Um, it's not the night at the museum, Ben Stiller. It's a very different Ben Stiller, and I do appreciate that. Um, and here he's 
taking his son um, to a tour of colleges, and he feels like his life has not really amounted to much when he compares it to all of his friends. Then he sees Abraham and he looks at them. He has what we would call Facebook envy. I think all of us can probably relate to that to to a degree of some kind, if I'm not mistaken. I know I can. I've been criticized endlessly for it for the last 10 years. But, um, but we do have some sort of – I do think there is some sort of thing where we realize that, you know, we, we do – judge compare ourselves to others when we really shouldn't and I and that's what I like about the movie because the movie does bring that home. Um there's one telling scene um where he thinks that his cause he runs a non profit. He's basically in charge of a little non profit. He's not as successful as his Michael Fien who's a big in politics or I think Luke Wilson who is a, a very pow- very powerful businessman. And then there's another another friend I believe is played by Mike White who is a, a Hollywood producer. Um, and he, he certainly he feels that he is not anywhere in the league of these men that he went to college with, so he feels he's going on to live better and more productive and or more successful lives and wealthier lives. But he realizes, I think, towards especially towards the end, that he you know, he was in wrong, and he's 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 put in his place by one of his by one of the college students who shows them around, because she really this one student that he she really looks up to the life that he has lived, and she. And he then says, well, no, I was wrong. You should go, basically, you should go for the money and everything. And she puts him in his place. And it's a very beautifully acted out scene. Um, but it's a very powerful movie. And it really gives one a lot of thought. I, I, the way I can say it, it's a Todd Solondz movie that has hope. It's not a condescending film. And a movie like this can easily come across as condescending and, and cynical. And it's not. And that's what I think really attracted me to it when it was done is it didn't take that easy um, negative approach. It really ends on a very optimistic note. And I really appreciated that. I really didn't. I, I can't start. I mean, it's, it is worth the praise, and it came and went very quickly, but I, I, think, I think it's definitely worthwhile watching, definitely. Yeah. I, uh, I appreciated the movie to a certain extent, but uh, I felt... I felt there was an essential disconnect uh with the main character i um i don't know i i uh i felt that he was silly <laughs> he's silly yes he is silly he is i mean you, you know it's really funny that you bring that up because we have to you know this is the, you know he's in the other the Noah Baumbach movie that came out on uh, Netflix the Myrat stories you know that comes out around the same time um so you also I, I can, you know, I think this is like, I think that this is much better than that. I wasn't crazy about that one, but um, well, but I understand what you're saying. I understand sometimes it's hard to, with Ben Stiller, he's so ingra- he's one of those actors that his his personality is so ingrained in our 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 brains that we it's kind of hard not to picture him in that. I understand what you're saying. I totally understand that. Yeah, I, I I responded much more to Greenberg in terms of uh in terms of uh connecting with that type of character. But um uh I just I just felt that he wasn't appreciating what he had uh quite enough. Right. Uh, That's the point. Uh, yeah, we'll talk we'll talk about point. we'll talk about Brad status later. Yep. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, oh we'll talk yeah, about yeah. it more later. Yep. Oh wow. <laughs> wow, we actually have a common thing this year. Okay, this is awesome. Okay, this is good. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number nine is Mother. Uh, it's a, um, I, as I expected, I responded to it um, 
I responded most to its sense of lunacy. Just as a statement of I want more directors to feel free to follow that lunacy, to let their minds just explode and uh, and have audiences be the beneficiaries of all the splatter on screen when their minds do explode. Uh, I want to put this on my list. It's not a movie that I responded to on an emotional level, which is fine. Uh, But it is a movie that I found incredibly inspiring just for the the ferocity of spirit in which it was created. Mm. Uh, There's there's such a sense of urgency in this movie. Uh, Now, I love that it's open to interpretation, uh, I'm not going to say that I understood every beat of it, but my impression of it is that, uh, I mean, there is religious allegory going on, but I think that's used simply as a way to structure the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the religious allegory kind of t- are the beams that are holding the house up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what what it is really about for me I can absolutely see the envir- environmental statement in the film, which is there. It's unmistakable. But I, I think it transcends the environmental thing because I think it's about consumption in general. I think it's about not valuing anything. I think it's about a culture that is so ravenous to mm-hmm. cannibalize every single thing they can around them that they appreciate nothing, that it's just about more, more, more. Yeah, uh, uh, and I, that the the frenzy of the film captures that so much for me, um, and that's that's what I latched onto most about it. The, I mean, it really does take uh, more than one viewing uh, because there's so much activity going <laughs> going oh, yeah. on as that film progresses. Yeah, it's it's hard to catch everything that's happening because you're just you're just lost in the overwhelmingness of it, you know. Mm. Um, but, uh, I mean, I did really enjoy it. I love that when Aronofsky makes films like this, where he just lets himself just run wild. And, but I do think it's structured in a, in a, in a real concern. Um, and I think that motherhood is like the, the perfect kind of venue in which to express this. Uh, I mean, because what, what should we value more than mother creating a new life and that carries right. on life? And uh, no, it, it, sometimes you look at this generation that, that, are, that appreciates nothing for more than, you know, the, the hour that they're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. And, and you're thinking, is there hope for <laughs> another generation? I mean, is there anything permanent here? Uh so I, I, uh, I think the movie speaks to that. Um, I will be watching it again uh, because I think I was, you know, it's it's the fact that I watched it a couple of months ago um, after uh, everyone was telling me how uh, fucking crazy it was. Mm. I, th- mm-hmm. I think if I I think if I did what you you guys did which is go on opening weekend, not really knowing what you're about to see, then it would have overpowered me even more. 
because that was it would have been like, it. yeah, it would have been like, what the hell am I watching? It would have yeah. felt like, <laughs> and it would have felt more like go, a discovery. It would, it would have been, and then go watch the William Freakin director's guild <laughs> with him where he spills, where we, we had that conversation. Um, I, you know, I use this film and Killing of a Sacred Deer to really defend movies in the last year. And neither one is on my top ten list, but I appreciate them because of the daringness of them, especially Mother. And I have to say something about Mother. Where you say you want to go revisit it, it's like Requiem for a Dream for me. I love both movies. I don't think I could sit through both of them ever again. Mm, um, I could understand I that. No, but Mother, there are certain, I think there are the second half of the movie I am cringing, not because I, 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 I mean, I'm really admiring the technique, obviously. Aronofsky and another year, remember Black Swan was my favorite movie of that year. But here, I'm just cringing too much. I mean, and that's good. I should be. A filmmaker like that should make me cringe in a good way, creatively. But it's just, I, the second half of the movie is too uncomfortable for me to sit through again. I mean, it's I, rough. I mean, it's it's a rough, it, it's the, the second it's a half movie, is particularly though. a rough watch, you know. It's, it's, it's a great movie, though. I don't dispute that i wouldn't i mean it's definitely an awesome film it's something that we you know we we talk about sometimes on the show how movies are dying no no when someone when a movie like this comes out you are fully aware that someone is paying attention someone is but i mean i think it's a power a power of the movie i think testament to the director is that he's made two movies that why i find brilliant I don't think I can sit through again. Um, so that's just me. Um, but yeah, and, and, and if you ever want to see Kristen Wiig shoot people in the head, I mean, this, this is the movie for you as well. That just gives you a sense. I mean, just right down to that, you're like, what the hell is Kristen Wiig doing? And, and it's, yeah. just, it's part and parcel for the, the fever of the entire movie. See, I, with Requiem for a Dream, uh, that's such a descent into hell. Uh, that mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's a major kind of downer for me. I was more right. exhilarated by Mother. I, mm. I could watch it and and giggle at how far he was taking this. Right. Uh, as, as awful as the stuff on screen might have been. Uh, I think it has I, a big laugh in it. <laughs> There's, I yeah. know, especially in the first half. Yeah. Uh, but that, you know. that 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 track that you were talking about with celebrity, with with artists. Um, uh, and what it says about the, the creation of art and how difficult it is to live with an artist and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that's that goes right into the consumption thing, like mm-hmm. how how that's just yet another thing that we consume and spit out. And maybe artists are so self-centered that they do that with their relationships as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I think it's all in the, everything is in there. It's a kitchen. It's a kitchen sink movie, and actually, there's oh. a part of it that involves a kitchen sink. <laughs> the best part, the great, the best scene in the movie is is uh, the breaching of the sink, which is uh, yeah, amazing. That's true. Uh, yeah, that's what a what a great movie. Uh, um, Okay, well, number nine for me is uh, is the documentary Kiti from uh, Turkey. It's uh, it's actually uh, by some U.S. filmmakers as well. So it's a Turkey-U.S. co-production directed by Seda Torun. Uh, again, another movie that transports me to a different place. That is Istanbul, uh, Turkey. Uh, where we follow the lives of street cats uh, that are uh, that are m- much loved, 
in the country, in the city, and uh, and are are cared for by uh, shopkeepers and so forth that uh, that forge relationships with each one of these animals, and we get to see the shopkeepers uh, sort of speculating on their lives and on uh, on the cat's personalities. Um, uh, it's it's a fascinating movie about our connection to animals, and that's something that uh, I think needs to be uh, looked at more deeply through films. I I think this movie does does it very creatively and uh, and very beautifully. Beautiful score. Uh, uh, the photography is is amazing. Uh, the editing is 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 perfect. Uh, you know, each each cat has its own section of uh, of running time uh, to uh, to be featured, um, and uh, it's uh, it, it's just a it's just a magical kind of transportative uh, documentary that uh, is uh, you know is free of uh, any kind of um, uh, I don't know any kind of real worry or drama. I guess uh, I don't want to say that it's without drama uh, because it's not. But uh, uh, there's just a sort of sense of while you're watching it, there's a there's a, a tremendous sense of uh, I don't know relaxation that comes over me, um, and uh, I feel very comforted by the film. Um, and not many people, not many movies did that for me this year. So, uh, um, so I have to, I have to hand it to that movie for, uh, for really, you know, really taking me someplace new. And, uh, so Kitty is my number nine pick. Uh, it's what a great movie it is. Uh, even if you're, uh, if you're, uh, not a cat lover or whatever, uh, I, I still think you would respond to it. Um, so check it out. Uh, it's, uh, it's a good year for female filmmakers, I think. Uh, um, uh, you know, with things like Maudie and, uh, and Obit and uh, Mr. Roosevelt, those are all some of my favorite uh, movies of the year. So they're all in my mm-hmm. top, top 25 uh, what um, country? What country produced Katie? Like, what country did that come out of? It, it came. It comes out of Turkey, uh, but okay. it, it's also a U.S. co-production. I, I gotta say, I thought this would be a number one movie. Not, I don't mean that facetiously. I mean seriously, the way you talk about it. So I'm really kind of now. I'm really curious what comes before before this. So I'm really curious because I really thought this would be like close to your number one. Um, it's so. definitely one of the movies uh one of the few movies that uh that I bought you know once it came out and mm-hmm. uh, uh it's uh it's just it's just a wonderful movie i i think that it can be rewatched uh many times and and enjoyed in the same manner as watching when you watched it the first time, which is uh you know a good thing. Maybe a little, uh, you know. There's not a lot of, uh, you know, intellectual content in it, so that's why. Well, that's, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Well, yeah, and it's I mean, not, it's like you said. Like you said, it's not. Uh, there's not manufactured drama. Yeah. Uh, right. Which is refreshing sometimes, and you know, cats have nine lives, so so it should be your number nine. 
<laughs> okay, that's okay, a that's, good point. Very, that's a very good point. It's like, it's like having it's like having good time at the show. Okay. <laughs> All right, Jerry, you're number eight. You haven't We're doubled up eight. anything yet. Well, there is one. I know there is one double. Okay. I, there wasn't going to be because in the last couple of years I haven't done that, but there's one double, and the double is actually an afterthought, really. So I won't lie to you. Um, but there's only one. But it's not this one. How's that? Okay. Okay. I think as we, I, I, when I, I to you. I could have easily done a top ten list by the end of July this year. I really could. Have. Um, and it wouldn't have been a hard. It wouldn't have been a stretch. This this movie, I would say, is probably the first great movie of the, of last year, and that would be Get Out. Um, I just, it's just. Um, I don't want to say, I hate using the word timely and all that stuff. It's really not. You could have made this movie in the last 30 years, I think, and and it would still, it would have worked whenever it came out. Yeah, it would have worked in the 80s. It would have worked, worked in the 70s, really, if you want to be very honest. Um, it, it, it's, look, we've talked about it a lot. I don't want to bring bring it, but it's just, it's so well done. And, and it is kind of movie that I think you, I have watched a little bit of it on HBO, and the stuff I didn't pick up the first time, and it's really like, oh, I didn't see that kind of thing. And I think that's really a testament to the to the the, the, the filmmaker who this is just. I mean, talk about a revelation. I mean, uh, by Jordan Peele. I love Key and Peele, but I didn't know this was in there. I did not know uh, a film like this was in his wheelhouse. You know, I had no idea. And it's so clever and just a great cast. Um, I mean, obviously, the lead Daniel Kaluuya. Kalu- is it Kaluuya? Kaluuya? What is it? Kaluuya. Kaluuya. So it's close. You guys got to give me credit there. That's a, that's a, that's the first that I've been that close. Um, <laughs> so, okay. And then Allison Williams is obviously very good as he, how she, what, what should we, what should we call Allison Williams in this movie? The lore? I, would, I mean, what she's the, uh, she's the femme fatale, I would say. Yeah, she's the femme fatale. And obviously the parents, Bradley Whitford and Catherine Keener are very, are very good in this movie. Um, but it's just a really, it's a great, I think what, if we're going to look back at 2006, 17, what it, I think it was a year that the studio realized that what it what it had in it to make and to make the genre film and to make the, and then actually the genre film could reinvent itself and can be very smart. It happened in several different types of um, genres, not all on my top ten top ten list, obviously, but it just seemed like this is a year. It's all right to call yourself a horror film. There's no shame in that. Mm. And I think Get Out is the first movie that came out this year. Now it's not, of course. A couple of weeks, I think, before Get Out came out, A Cure for Wellness came out. So, I mean, yeah, there may be some shame in calling yourself a horror film. I'm not sure. But um, Get Out was it's just such a it – was, it was just you, – you were glued to the screen. You couldn't – you really were to the very last moment of the credits rolls. You're like, wow, you were really on the edge of your seat. I, I thought it was very it's – it's what we talked about in the show from the very start, that horror films were also very important social commentary. And I think this film is one of the best I've seen of that in a long time. Mm. Yeah, and I I love what I loved about it was just how it uh how it uh I know he doesn't he, uh, I know Peel doesn't look at it as a comedy in any way shape or form but I I, I feel that it is a satiric comedy. Mm. You need uh, a satire at times. Yeah, I mean some of it is way over the top uh and uh in a in a I think in a funny way. Um but uh but also, its underlying uh, its underlying worldview is uh, is so 
ridiculously serious that uh, uh, that uh, you know the, the movie seems very adept at you mm-hmm. know walking that tightrope between these these uh, uh, these competing um, I don't know competing competing uh, sort of aims I guess uh, but uh, it is a wonderful uh, ensemble. Um, uh, is it Betty Grab- Gabriel who plays the uh, uh, who plays the the maid? I think she's really good in it. Uh, it's a, yes, uh, as Georgina. Georgina. Yeah, and uh, Lakeith Stanfield is uh, uh, as the uh, as the guy that uh, uh, Daniel Kaluuya sees in the in the crowd and tries to mm-hmm. tell him to get out. <laughs> you know, yes, get out. That's a. It, it, it's it's a great movie. I, I do feel like it falls down a little bit in its third act, with some uh, some little plot holes that I feel are uh, you know when I I didn't notice them the first time around, but second time around I'm like, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> what's he doing leaving those photographs out? And once he discovers the photographs, he should he knows that. Uh, she's not on his side, but he still mm-hmm. goes down into the room and expects her to find the keys in her purse right. and everything. I, right. I think there, I think there's a little bit of shaky ground in there, uh, oh, but yeah. that doesn't mean that I don't appreciate the movie. And uh, it's it's definitely in my top twenty. Um, mm-hmm. And what I really love about it is that uh, the audiences really responded to. To it, uh, they, yeah. uh, they made it into a, a huge, massive hit, and uh, um, I love that a movie like this can be a, a, a big hit these days. Yeah, so I mean, it's, it's, it's the kind of movie. What I liked about the movie, I think, and maybe this is just because I'm just taking a really personal thing, is the kind of movie I could talk with my coworkers about, and we had and we had a really fun time just analyzing it, and talking about know, things that we picked up, things that we didn't pick up. And I won't lie to you, that's one of my favorite, that's probably one of my favorite things about the movie is talking about it with like, people at work who I really value their opinion about things, not just movies, but other things. But I, that, to me, really was a nice change of pace from previous jobs I've had. Yeah, I won't lie to you, that's, that's one of the things I really enjoy about the movie, to, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah, it definitely fomented conversation amongst the moviegoers, and that's, that's, a, that's always a great thing, so... Yeah, it's interesting how, uh, I mean, I like the fact that Jordan Peele respects the genre. Uh, He likes the genre, and he wanted to make a good movie in that genre of horror. Um, And it's interesting how you take the premise of the Stepford Wives, and you Mm -hmm. change the theme from feminism to race. And it makes it, it just, it's really kind of a provocative twist. And the movie is provocative, and, and, and part of the reason why I'm, um, surprised that it's been embraced as much as it has because it's fronted by quote unquote <laughs> well-meaning liberal white people, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> who are doing this, yeah, who are doing this horrific thing. Uh, right, so right. yeah, I, I I do think it's a provocative uh, movie that stands stands out in in that genre. I mean, certainly compared to all the brain dead horror films that we've had for so long. Yes. How can you say that, Jamie? How can you say 
percent of all horror movies are pretty brain dead. So, but yeah. that it, it is How refreshing. How dare you? It is How re- you? refreshing to get an entry that that has yeah. some smarts to it. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Um, my number eight. All right. So my is it? Oh, you're okay. doing your. That's right. You're doing your yeah. number eight. My number eight. Yeah, I'll try to go quick. Because uh, we haven't reached a halfway point and we're already 48 minutes in. Yeah. Okay. My number oh, eight is is um. The, the the one uh, that started really highly acclaimed <laughs> when it came out, and I think it suffered the most backlash out of anything, uh, and it's kind of mystifying to me. The PC police have have their claws out for this movie, and that's three billboards. Mm-hmm. Uh, and man, I mean, when you have a big editorial that gets so much play on the New York Times talking about how offensive and, and mystifying this movie is, like the characters don't make any sense, the motivations and where they go, and uh, and if you remember, I mean, this everybody was glowing about this movie, and then uh, you know the PC people started to come down on it, and they said, "No, no, this is really offensive." This movie. So I still I, don't get uh, it. I don't. I mean, what's <laughs> I offensive? Don't... Wait, what, what's offensive about it? Wait a minute, I'm lost now. Well, I think that well, I, I think that the PC so police they don't I they know. don't like the fact that the movie lets uh, Sam Rockwell off the hook. For his for his past crimes, uh, which include you know, uh, 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 but doesn't you know, he pay a horrific price though? He pays a horrific price though in the movie. I he mean, does. I mean, he almost <laughs> gets burned alive. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I wait, mean, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Are we? Re- oh wow. I mean, I like the movie a lot. He doesn't get. A, he doesn't get. You know, the, a big complaint about it is that he doesn't get arrested. There's two compl- there's two other complaints about it that that they only talk about him uh, beating a black person, they don't show it. Which there there aren't flashbacks in the movie. Like all of a sudden they're going to come up with a flashback just to appease this PC audience to show him. And what does that do if it shows him beating? <laughs> I don't understand it. what we, the addition of showing him. Yeah, beating and up we black do see him beating be. beating the, the the printer, the kid, the advertising guy to a pole yeah. throwing him out a window. Another complaint is that he faced no uh, uh, ramifications for that. He was not arrested for that on the spot. And I'm like, well, you know, is this a fantasy? Uh, I mean, uh, how many times have we seen officers not face the consequences for yes. for, for beating people? Exactly. Um, exactly. So, but, I, but I don't uh, – okay. But I think the main complaint is that he doesn't have a comeuppance. Like everybody just doesn't say you're a racist, you deserve to go to hell, and we're going to forget completely about you. And I, but I personally think that's the strength of the movie. And I say mm-hmm. these same liberal audiences, when they talk about people that that come, uh, that bomb us, that plan terrorist attacks, and they're saying, well, you don't understand. It's it's you don't understand where this behavior comes from. We have to understand what endears this behavior in them before we can combat it. Those same audiences are, are like, well, we don't need to understand Sam Rockwell. Let's, we just, he just needs to be thrown away and you know, throw away the key. It's hypocrisy. Okay, I get it. And, 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 the, and the, 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 the responsibility of a good dramatist, which is what Martin McDonough is, mm-hmm. is to delve behind the reasons for his, his racism, uh, the reasons that he is just a complete... Uh, fuck up who is uh, dead um, 
he, he just feels dead to the world. He has no value in the world. His life is a dead end. Uh, all he has to hang on to is his hate. But then mm-hmm. again, all that Frances McDormand has to hang on to is her, is her, is her rage and her hate. Mm-hmm. And I think that the, 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 the most moving moments of the film are the moments when humanity peeks out underneath that shield. Yeah. Armor. In, mm. in both Frances McDormand's and Sam Rockwell's characters, she's she's not throwing the you know people are like why is she why is she saying the police didn't do enough or why aren't the police doing more? And uh, my whole point is the police have probably done all that they can given the evidence that they have up to that point. They haven't given up. They just they're they don't can't do anything else at the moment. She she puts up those billboards because it's a way to keep her daughter alive. And the way her daughter stays alive in her is to hang on to that, that just that rage, that how dare this happen, and it has the justice has been served. Um, and and I think it's so smart about people, and it's complicated about people. It's smart about the complication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I agree the, with that. I agree 100. You know with the that. inconsistencies and the behaviors that run counter to how you really feel. I, I and I love that. There's a lot to chew on, and I think people that are blasting the movie for its political incorrectness are not are not seeing that the political incorrectness is a uh, one of the film strengths. That it, it it it's it's really delving down into the the ugly truth of of where these things are born. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's something that those audiences need to reckon with. And I completely understood it. There's not, there's not a character yeah. motivation that I, I was I was puzzled by. Uh, so I guess I was on the movie's wavelengths, and they weren't. But yeah. Yeah. there you go. I I got I agree with. I, first of all, I want to say a very good analysis of what you just gave of the film. I am beginning to wonder if American movie audiences, whether they're sci-fi fans or PC, whatever. Are very are American movie fans just incredibly immature or, or short sighted? Because the the things that you gave of the criticism of this movie, you know, could be interchangeable with with the criticisms of the Last Jedi in many ways. I mean, what people got to understand? It's not you did not. The filmmaker has a vision when he comes in and wants to make the movie. Um, this is a story he he or she is trying to tell. I'm sorry that he did not tell the story that you wanted to tell. I mean, you almost I feel like as an artist, you're one of the Dear audience, I'm sorry I could not read your mind. Kind of, there almost needs to be a disclaimer. Yeah. But mm-hmm. another point is, another point is, by the end of the movie, Sam Rockwell and Francis McDormand, neither one are redeemed. There's not a, like a come to Jesus moment. You just mm-hmm. get the sense that they might might be on the path to that, and mm-hmm. that, that that's enough. Uh, and it makes me think, you know, would these same audiences blast Monsters Ball if it were released this year? Um, Probably. You know, I mean, I, Monsters Ball got a lot of got a lot of <laughs> got a lot of shit the year it came out. So, but probably so. Uh, I my only thing about Monsters Ball is the kid got hit by a car, right? Did he get hit by a car in the movie? Yes. Her son. He's a big boy. I want to know what the car looked like that hit him. Was there? Were they going to sue him? I mean, because that car must have been incredibly damaged. I mean, that's all I'm saying. That was my. Own, that's the only thing I remember about the movie. I'm sorry. That and the blowjob scene, obviously. But um, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't remember much about that movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't. Uh, well, I love. I love three billboards. I have problems with some of its. Uh, 
some of its uh, screenwriting. Um, but uh, while I was watching it, I really dug it, and I I love I love the entire ensemble. And uh, uh, yeah, I I I have problems going back to it because uh, you know to me to me you know the the fact that uh, well I really had problems with just uh, the fact that. Uh, that there are no no consequences for Frances McDormand and what she does uh, uh, with the firebombing and the uh, and the uh, you know uh, sending a drill through the uh, <laughs> through the thumb of a uh, of a dentist. Uh, there's there's no blowback on any of that stuff, and I, I just thought that they uh, they could have they could have included you know they could have uh, fleshed out the screenplay a little bit more to. Uh, to address some of that uh, stuff, which I, I thought uh, kind of takes me out of the reality of the situation. So, but uh, I, I liked it. I, I liked it. Um, I think I kind of one of my favorite scenes. I mean, there's a lot of movies that have great scenes, not necessarily on my top ten, but I love the scene where Peter Dinklage takes her out to dinner, and John Hawks is in there, and I, I just thought that whole scene was just brilliant. I just that was a great scene, and of course, of course, the wonderful scene with uh, McDormand and and uh, Woody Harrelson, where he he coughs up blood in her face, and she yeah. uh, she she embraces him. Uh, uh, that was uh, that was magnificent. Yeah, uh, and I I love right. that wonderful scene too with the deer coming in uh, to uh, sort of uh, convene with her. It's, it's kind of a uh, Sort of a spiritual representation of her daughter. Uh, I, th- I thought that was brilliant too. So I love I love the movie. It's a great movie. All right, Dean, uh, your number eight. My number eight is another film written by uh, Mike White. Uh, this one is directed by the Mexican director Miguel Arteta, and it's called Beatrice at Dinner. I thought that this movie. Uh, really captures the moment that we're in, the odd moment that we're in with Trump as president. And uh, in this film, she plays a a, a, a holistic kind of healer. Uh, uh, that is Salma Hayek, who's fantastic in the lead. Uh, she plays a, a a holistic healer who is caught at, uh, stranded at the house of one of her clients, one of her very wealthy clients, and she is uh she's asked to stay for dinner and at the dinner uh we get visited by John Lithgow who plays a uh a millionaire, maybe a billionaire, uh with uh questionable uh morals. And uh over the course of the dinner, uh Salma Hayek's character, Beatrice, uh, sees uh, what we're faced with, what we're, what humanity is faced with having to overcome, which is this unbelievably uncaring uh, wealthy class that is uh, uh, incredibly uh, – treats her quite badly, I think, uh, e- even the people who are her friends. I think uh uh looked down on her mm-hmm. uh and uh I uh 
I really responded to <clears throat> the lead performance and and of course uh John Lithgow who I think is fantastic in it. Uh but uh it has one of the starkest endings of any movie mm-hmm. uh this year. Uh I don't want to give away the ending but it is it is a surprise. <laughs> and uh and I understand it too. Uh I understand the sort of sense of uh self destruction that that uh, you feel like uh sometimes sometimes when you look at how horrible the world is and how insurmountable the problems seem to be uh there is a sense of like geez i just want to just <laughs> i just want to just get away from all of this uh i i uh i really uh, uh have a real heartfelt connection to uh to Sam Hayek's performance in it uh she has a great scene where she sings a song to the uh to the collected people and they're they're kind of uh they're kind of being very uh patronizing to her really all throughout the movie and uh oh very much so it, it, oh, oh, it, it, it makes you sick uh yeah, it makes you sick cuz she's such a sweet character and uh um Gosh, I, I just thought it was a really, really great screenplay, and I, I think uh, uh, it's difficult to attack uh, what we're going through now in terms of a narrative. But uh, I think uh, I think this movie did it quite successfully. So, uh, Beatrice and Dinner is my number eight. I movie. think you really, um, in all seriousness, you know, we, we briefly talked about both of us. We've all talked about this movie on the show earlier when it came out and I think you really you were, you were picking and your your description of it's perfect. Um I mean really really captured um everything that's really quintessential about the movie. I, I could so much so that I can see the comment on YouTube from our uh, uh the person who describes himself as ethno nationalist just going ripping us to shreds over this. So uh, so yeah. um, and I mean that I mean that as a compliment by the way, not as a um not as the and not in a derogatory way towards us. You really describe, I think, why the film works on a social and emotional level. Mm. So, um, the kudos to you for that. That was a really good, really good summary of it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I, it's a, it's it's a fantastic movie. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Okay, Jerry, your number seven. Here we go. Uh, my number seven is a last minute double. Um, and it's actually a last-minute change, actually, because it was a different movie altogether and a movie that I liked. I won't, I'll maybe ask later, we'll talk about that. But I, I put a ghost story as my number seven, and I had to add with that Coco, because to me, they're sort of about the same thing. They are about death. And um, I don't. I know we've talked not about, maybe with the ghost story, I know I talked at length about at a certain age, filmmakers become, artists become obsessed with death, and they make movies about that. And I sort of and I was, had this long, long talk with my mom after watching Phantom Thread, even though it probably has nothing to do with that, about that very thing, that most artists become concerned with death after a certain age. Um, but I really responded to a ghost story um, very much so. Um, maybe because I lost my dad a year and a half ago, but I also, if you've ever truly loved someone, if you've ever truly loved someone, I think it's a very powerful movie. And, and I also like to see existential aspect of the ghost, and the ghost is there the whole time. And you go back and you, and the how do I say this? So 
there's one scene that really struck me. So Rooney Mara has lost her, her I guess it's her husband, right? They're married, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Casey Affleck, another brilliant performance from, I think, Casey Affleck, from and just two back-to-back um, Manchester by the, the sea in this. Um, and, you know, she's, I know there's the infamous pie eating scene. I, I know we, we've talked at length about that. But there's a scene after that she's left the house. And the house means a lot. The homes do mean a lot. If you have roots and everything, I got that. And the movie makes it very clear about the importance of the home, the house. So there's another family comes to move in the house, lives in the house. And there's a scene where the ghost just starts destroying everything. They get very scared and they leave. And I got that—that that that he was protecting. He it was his. It was the ghost. That ghost felt it was being very territorial. And it really struck me. I understood that perfectly. That if, so, if someone was else was living in your home, even though you can't physically possess, you can't. It's no longer your house. You're dead. But I understood that, though. It really it it, it caught me on a very emotional level. Um, and for that scene alone, I was willing to put it in there. But it also has a, an emotional resonance about about what we do with our lives, how what we leave behind. Um, Coco does that in a way too. But I think Coco is much more on a sentimental level. If we could visit our our loved ones just one day a year. One day a year, if we could do that, how wonderful that would be! And I and I and I was really—I mean, the last half hour of the movie, I'm, I'm crying my eyes out during that movie. I was just—it was just too much. It was—I almost walked out. It was too much to, to mm. bear. But I just think these, both of these films, really did in their own way. Um, speaking about death, I, I just thought were really well done. I really—and it's the only time this year—and I have really been very strict about not including doubles in recent years. I This year, I didn't know how else to do it with this one particular choice. So. Mm. That's, well, it's that's interesting because last, last, last year was the year of grief in the movies. Uh, yeah. we, we talked about that from Manchester by the Sea to Jackie, and there are many yeah. movies about grief. Uh, yeah. And I think uh, uh, on that theme, A Ghost Story is the strongest movie about grief from this year, and, and uh, that is my number seven as well. Uh, oh, and wow. I did a full-throated full defense of it a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I will say that there's, there's there's mysteries to that movie. There's this uh, there's this kind of indefinable, almost intangible feeling. There's this mood in the movie that at first you might think this is a little ridiculous and patience yeah. draining. Um, and right. then it kind of that's how it hit it, me, it unfortunately. <laughs> it, 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 it did not seep into me until after the movie was over, and and I and it, which is astonishing, um, because I couldn't stop thinking about it, and and all of a sudden it came to mind what what the movie how the movie felt right, how mm-hmm. the movie you, you felt right about the sense of permanence, like the, the when does does love have to die? Does does their love die? When is it okay to let go? Mm-hmm. Uh, even in the spirit, even in the spirit world, is there, you know, is there a, a residue of something that remains? Does that ever really leave? When is it right. okay for it to leave? Um, you know, and I, I've certainly had loss in my life, but even even without family members of mine dying, I mean, anyone I think who's who's human and who, under, right. who knows the concept of loss uh, can feel this movie it, it, mm-hmm. if. If they're patient with it, um, 
So I, I'm completely on board with a ghost story uh, it, because it's one of those that uh, hasn't left me. Right. So uh, I'm sure I'll revisit it uh, one day. And I, I just love some of the visual constructs of it. I love. Mm-hmm. I ended up loving the sheet. The sheet. Like almost yeah. a child's understanding, a child's understanding of what a ghost is, and during right. the course of the movie, you the, the movie has a real adult understanding of what a ghost might be, mm-hmm. a ghost in like a not even a literal sense, a ghost in right. like the, the ghost of the of of the lovers that used to live in that house, mm-hmm. uh, and and when does that go? Um, you know, I, so I, I I like a lot of the movies and what it brought up. Um, so I'm on board. Number seven, ghost story for me. All right. <laughs> Number seven for me uh, is Sean Baker's The Florida Project. Uh, oh, cool. Which, which I thought was one of the most vibrant movies of the year. Uh, visually vibrant uh, with that incredible, uh, uh, incredibly colorful uh, palette that it has. Uh of course, the Florida Project. Uh, the title refers to the uh, the hotel that these uh, largely poor uh, denizens are living in. Uh, it's managed by uh, Willem Dafoe, who's wonderful in it. Uh, um, I just, uh, but but it's really led by uh, the newcomer Brooklyn Prince, who uh, uh, leads us through her days, uh, whiling away the hours, uh, uh, begging for money for ice cream (laughs) at the local ice cream parlor. Uh, um, And I really, I loved the the performance by Bria Viate as the mother uh, uh, who uh, I had sympathy for even though I didn't necessarily agree with a lot of her <laughs> her parenting decisions, uh, but I I saw that she was uh, that she's trying and that she has a deep connection to her daughter and is willing to literally go and fight for her. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I uh, I I really responded to. I found I found the movie to be a joy, frankly, and a, a, a lot of people I think around me, like I think, are I, I got the impression that people were horrified because you know, oh, they're letting this, these children run around. Uh, how irresponsible and horrible! Yes, maybe I guess, but I'm from a generation that used to run around all the time uh, by ourselves, so I kind of found it kind of freeing, and. Uh, I really uh, uh, just I just dug all of the uh, all of the humor in it. Um, uh, like I, I'm thinking back on this <laughs> this wonderful scene in it where Willem Dafoe, after having managed having to manage these kids that are running around and everything, having to be kind of a uh, surrogate uh, father to them in a lot of right. ways. Uh, that wonderful scene where he uh, he comes out and uh, 
he's saying, okay, okay, guys, all you guys need to move on. And the camera turns over, and you see a bunch of herons <laughs> walking right. there. He's, like, he's, telling, he's even managing the birds that are coming by. I thought it had this movie had a great sense of place. Again, another movie that just transports me to another place. And uh, um, gosh, I, I just I just loved it. Uh, I I loved uh, it. Really moved me too. The uh, the ending of the film uh, is. Uh, I think a lot of people are a little confused about the ending of the movie. Like, why did they go to Disneyland or whatever? Uh, well, they're going to Disneyland to sort of wish away the, uh, you know, you can go. You're supposed to be able to go to to the the princess's castle and and make a wish and have it come true. And I think they're going there to wish all the bad stuff away. Uh, in case you don't understand what why it ends where it does, but uh, it's it's a, a really really great movie. Sean Baker is just a. a, a invigorating new voice in movies with this and with last year's Tangerine. Uh, he's uh, he's doing really, really great work and has a real talent for, uh, for dealing with non-actors, uh, which I always uh, find uh, incredibly he, refreshing in movies. He, he does have that talent, there's no doubt about it. I mean, he really knows how to get great performances. Um, of, I mean, it is something to behold, and and I and I thought well, I, I I asked before last week. I, think, I still think William Defoe is the front runner for the supporting actor Oscar. I really do. Um, I, I don't know. So. I know Sam. I like no. I love Sam Rockwell. I even would welcome Woody Harrelson into the mix too. I mean, those are all strong performances. It just seemed like he, William Defoe is just so there's something so gentle and in the performance. It's a very humanistic performance from him. Um, it's just a very, it's a very heartwarming performance, and, and especially the scene where he there's goes no, out there's the no, there's no effort, there's no effort to it, and 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 like we're talking about with Keedy, there's, there's, there's no need to in his performance to manufacture anything to kind of propel the right. plot. Uh, mm-hmm. It it feels like uh, he lives there. <laughs> yes, you it know? does. And it then does the, and the and the camera's just capturing him. Moving a moving an ice box or a fridge or whatever they're they're moving in that one scene, mm-hmm. uh, you know it, it it yeah I'll be talking about it more in a little bit. Um, oh, number six, are we up to number six, Jerry? Mm-hmm. Where I'm in number six, um, even though we didn't get to talk about this, I didn't get to talk about this one. Came out. I'll make this quick. Um, I, I put for my number six, um, Steven Spielberg's The Post. I really responded to it very strongly, and maybe that's just because I've lived in the Washington D.C. area all my life. But um, I just really responded to this movie about the Pentagon Papers and about the Washington Post and about we talked about earlier about journalism and how it's under attack and I really I really responded to Meryl Streep as Catherine Graham as the owner of the Post and the risk that she took along with Ben Bradley played wonderfully played by Tom Hanks and this is my this is I think Steven Spielberg's best movie since Munich hands down and I'm really like the horse I like Bridges Prize a lot but this to me just felt the immediacy of this movie. Even though it's about the Pentagon Papers, it's really about today. It's, not, it's, not, it's very obvious it's about what's going on right now. They rushed into the production. That's when I couldn't get over either how fast they're able to get this movie uh, made and released. But I, I have strong performances from everybody. And I know, I know Dean is like, I, I understand the musical too. 
choices that you could you, you could have gone with better musical choices. I understand that, but I just felt the movie has an it just responds. Spielberg does so well on an emotional level. Um, and great, and and I just I, I everything about it I, I love. I, I couldn't. I just really felt like God. I wish we were living in this era again where they're you know they're drunk. You know the power of journalism. Not that we have journalists right now working and doing their best to respond to an era where we have a president or going to war with the press right now. So I really respond to this maybe more so than should have, but I really just got into the whole story. Even though I know the story, I just really got sucked into the. You know what's really striking about the movie? This will sound ridiculous, but there's um, there's a couple of spots in the movie where they're playing the actual Nixon tapes and what he says mm-hmm. about the New York Times and the Washington Post at the time these stories are breaking. I mean, it, it, that's on the soundtrack, The Sound of Nixon. And it, it comes right. to a shot of, like, outside the White House looking through the window into the Oval Office in what is certainly a set. And you see the hunched right. figure of Nixon on the phone, and you just see right. him in well, It's an actor portraying Nixon. And I swear to God, it, it sounds minuscule, but I could have sworn that was Nixon. I mean, just the profile <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So much like Nixon. I was like, holy shit, that could have been like surveillance footage or something, but it's obviously not. Uh, no, no, it's yeah, not. I, I like that part. I yeah. like the movie okay. I, I like the movie okay. I, I wasn't offended by it. Uh, I wasn't as taken by it as you were. Um, and I didn't feel, people are comparing it obviously to all the presidents, but I didn't feel like it's it not had it. It's not but, yeah, it doesn't inhabit that world like all the president's men does. Uh, but it's it, it for me. It felt like a rushed movie. I mean, it, it felt like we got to get we got to get this out now. We just got to remind people of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so it felt like a movie of now, but uh, right. I don't know if it's so now. much a movie for later. <laughs> like all the no, I don't. Men. I don't think it is. I don't think it will be that. And, I you know it's funny you know I know people you know they probably were thinking they were making all the presidents men um, too but there's just nothing really I was talking to someone about that yesterday and and there's just nothing quite like that movie and I um, but I it doesn't have the danger that that uh, I I never felt the sense of danger in it uh, uh, and I and I I consider that to be kind of a um, kind of a hit against it. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, I, well, I like I it fine think, enough. You know, yeah. I, well, there is a sense of danger. There is a sense in in the terms of, you know, Catherine Graham was played at the time. You know, we we don't think of it now, but at the time, she was taking enormous risk doing what she did. Yeah. She could. They really could have lost everything. Mm-hmm. Was, I mean, and and you know, and I think that's where the film comes into play with today because. There is this feeling that, my God, we 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 have we have victim, we have vilified the press. Not we, but we live in an era where the press is vilified on a daily basis by uh, by the commander in chief. So I and, the, and some of there are some components of the population that do believe that everything that comes out of the media is fake news. So I did respond to that. So I thought the film was very strong. No, I don't know. Five years from now, I don't think this film will have any resonance whatsoever. Um, all the president's men will still However, be hot. But also, it's the fact that uh, the, the thing that I also respond to on a human level from her character, and I do think her character's strong, and we yes. we needed to see her. Her story is the one I appreciated most. 
Yes, I know all about the Pentagon Papers and all that kind of stuff, and Daniel Ellsberg. But her story of particularly the fact that uh, not just that she can be arrested, the fact that she is so questioned because she's a woman, she's a newbie to the news business, right. but this is, her her- this is her heritage. I mean, this is yes. something that her family built and that she could single-handedly ruin everything, could destroy yes, it all. That's- that's what I yeah. I mean, that's the thing that you respond to. It's just the risks that she took. I mean, mm-hmm. Sally Quinn has the Sarah Sarah Paulson. I think is the one that could play Sarah uh, Sally Quinn. She says, "Yeah, she's putting everything on the line." I mean, she's putting everything on the line with this. So mm-hmm. you know, yeah, there is that sense of risk there. I mean, and at the time that was enormous. Um. So okay. Yeah. yeah. Number six for me is Brad Status, and so Jerry, you oh, already cool. talked about it uh, very ably. I would just say Thank you. I I appreciate that the movie shows somebody who is uh you know if 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 a simple-minded reading of Beatrice at dinner is like it's like it's like the collision between the haves and the have-nots which is kind of a simplification of what Beatrice at dinner is. Uh I think um Brad Status is about a a have that feels like he's a have-not. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and what I appreciated most about the movie are the moments in it when he, you know that he's questioning, what am I doing? Why am I doing this to myself? Why aren't I more appreciative of what I have? Why do I covet? Why am I jealous of my own son? But it's brave enough yeah. to show that that's a fault in him. Mm. Uh, and yet, at the same time, you see it crack through. Like he, he realizes how irrational some of this is. Mm. And I think a lot of people, when they get to a certain age, they 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 take, they assess their lives, and and they and they can only focus on how they're failing. Uh, and, and, right. and they look they look to other people, and they don't realize. Well, you know what? They're failing too in their own way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and it's just like when an artist like reads reviews. And everything can be glowing, but that one review that's not glowing is the one they focus on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something in human nature, and and I love the fact that he, you know, he covets what is his jealous <laughs> of his son, and yet you never doubt that he loves his son. He wants right. his son to succeed. There are all these conflicting emotions in him, and I love that the music score mirrors that. The music score mm-hmm. at times is like very grating it's like gnawing at him it's like this incessant kind of string that is gnawing and gnawing it's 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 his inner music playing in his head and he can't get it out um and i think it's one of the best best if not the best Ben Stiller performance i've ever seen i mean that scene at the end when he's moved by that performance on stage mm-hmm. uh that's yeah. incredible yeah. and if you think of the if you think of the technicality of okay the camera's going to stay on you it's like that scene in Birth where Nicole Kidman, the camera just focuses on her for three minutes, mm, yeah. uh, and you have you have you have to break down. <laughs> okay, go. You know, it's uh, I think it's an incredible. Uh, I'm used to seeing Ben Stiller extremely guarded. That's his persona, uh, right? And I think that that moment in that movie uh, is a revelation for him, um, just in terms of. He let that down. I felt the same way with DiCaprio's performance in Wolf of Wall Street, because he's mm-hmm. he's a very guarded actor a lot of times. Right. You know, um, I was very I was very taken by, it, and I completely I, I got him. 
and and I do I do think he, he at times he's like a, a selfish prick, and I think there are moments in the movie when he realizes that. Uh, right, uh, right. And I thought that was mm-hmm. brave and, and and intuitive about human nature. Mm. I think I have to revisit it. I'm going to revisit it. Uh, because uh, you know the the first time uh, that I watched it, it was the second movie uh, on a two movie day, and uh, I think I was maybe a little exhausted uh, at that point. So I think I need to revisit it. I can't discount Mike White as as a, as a screenwriter. So uh, he's, so yeah, he's great. He's a great humanist filmmaker, and we yeah. need him. Yeah, he needs yes, to keep making movies. Beautiful filmmaker. Okay, okay number, number six for me is a movie from uh, Romania uh, that came out in late 2016. Uh, it's called Graduation. It's also known by the, the title of Baccalaureate. Uh, it's about a uh, Romanian physician who uh, has a daughter who is uh, visited with some trauma at school, and uh, it ends up uh ruining her uh score on a very crucial uh, uh educational test that uh uh that could determine her future really what school she goes to and so forth and uh the physician goes to extreme lengths to uh to try and affect that score uh uh, to that exam, um, and uh, uh, it's it's a movie about where we will go in order to protect our own, and um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it is a it, it's a movie that uh, you're you're just wow where is this going to go? Uh, it's uh, and I I love that feeling of uh, of uh, just feeling like. Like you're in a new, <clears throat> you're in a new kind of situation that you haven't seen in movies before. Uh, right. But uh, great lead performance by Adrian Titiene, uh, and um, uh, the, the film is directed by Christian Manju, who uh, you know did uh, four weeks, you know three three months, four weeks, and two days a few years ago. Uh, he's he's one of the great voices of Romanian film, which is a very very surprising uh, uh, surprisingly rich uh, uh, portion of the world in terms of cinema. Uh, really really surprising, but uh, check it out. It's called Graduation, and uh, it's on Netflix. I think it's still on Netflix. I think that's how I watched it a couple weeks ago. Um, so I think it's still on Netflix. So <clears throat> it's it's, it's a, it was it's, it was released in this country that uh, in 2017. Yes. Okay. You know, it's just funny. want to make sure you're staying within the rules. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, you know, the release dates on uh, a lot of these movies. I have one movie that's really technically from 2015 on my top ten list. Uh, but uh, it takes so long for some of these movies to yeah. get through the oh, uh, yeah. get through the festival circuit. They could be on the festival circuit for a year, two years mm-hmm. uh, before they get real uh, an actual theatrical release. So this was 
this was released theatrically in February of this year in, in America. That's true. You're right. That's so, right. Uh, so yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, it's it's a it's a fabulous movie. Great screenplay. All right, Jerry, you're number five. My number five um, is The Disaster Artist. And I know we, we talked about this when, when, when it came out. And I just, and I have to say, I just, I, this is probably the biggest crowd pleaser I saw in the theater last year. And it really, I mean, and also I just can't, I, I can't help but marvel how they made such a great movie about such a bad movie. Um, it, it just boggles my mind um, how good it is. And then the movie it's based on The Room is so bad. Um, I mean, but I, it's the marvel of the movie. But it's also just, I think it's James Franco's greatest performance since Pineapple Express, where he's really just allowed to go at it and just eat up the scenery as Tommy Wiseau. Um, he, he just, it's just a lot of fun. It's a very fun, it's probably one of the funniest movies I saw last year. Um, just from the opening, as soon as he does that audition, uh, and you're just like, in the theater class or whatever, you just, you just, you just know you're in new territory. Yeah. But the audience is in it for the whole time. The audience is breaking out in hysterics. But I do want to say this, though. I do think it's true, because up until the point of the premiere, I don't think anyone really knows what they have. And everyone, when they get to the premiere of the movie, is just laughing hysterically. Um, not because it's funny, just because it's so bad. I do think it sort of reinforces the thing. No one knows anything about Hollywood. <laughs> but, but it is, it's a very, it's just such a, it's such a crowd pleaser of a movie. That's what I didn't expect. Um, and I like that being in a very energetic, very lively audience for something like that. That's really into it. That's a really nice feeling. You don't get that. You can't always get that obviously yeah. at home. So it's really, I thought the movie was a reminder. That's a good thing. One of the joys of going to the movies. One of the most interesting things about the movie is <clears throat> is how offset the character of Tommy Wiseau is an incredibly sweet, giving guy, but yeah. on set <laughs> he, he is <laughs> he is not. <laughs> He's a tyrant, uh, and uh, and a tyrant without any kind of real direction. <laughs> you know, no completely, direction. completely, uh, completely unmoored. Uh, and, uh, but I, I, uh, I, I dug that. I, I understood it. I understood that, uh, uh, he had a vision and he wanted, he wanted, he to, wanted get to get it, it made. Uh, so I appreciate that aspect of it. And it is one of the great performances of the year, uh, yeah. from James Franco. I mean, he is so, he is so charming in it and, uh, um, yeah. And uh, oh god, he's hilarious in it. <laughs> so I got I gotta say, you know that that scene with him uh, uh, in the audition, you know, trying to lose the accent and it even getting worse, <laughs> just, uh, it just cripples me. Uh, there, there, there's a lot of great laughs in it. I like Dave Franco in it too. I think he's, he's good. good yeah, he's very it. good. So. Uh, yeah, a, a very very good movie. Uh, uh, not again, not in my top twenty-five, but I saw a lot of movies this year that that I just liked. You know, I, I right. liked. Uh, I you know I didn't think were masterpieces, but uh, and that's definitely one of them for sure. All right, my number five is uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. That's a surprise. Yeah. It surprised me. I was really into it. 
I really dug it. I dug the uh, I, I dug the philosophical questions uh, mm. that were posed by it. I dug obviously the look and design of it. I dug mm-hmm. it uh, for how it was a uh, how it kept uh, it was in keeping with the spirit of the original, and yet at the same time it wasn't afraid to be different and distinctive mm. and stand on its own in several respects. Right. Um, I like thinking about it. I like thinking about what what this meant or this touch. Uh, I like the fact that it's not you know it's not a film noir like Ridley Scott's is. It's kind of a different no, creature. I mean that that one is a, a 40s detective noir in, yeah. in its oh, look, totally. just given a kind of futuristic slam. This isn't that. This feels more vast. Uh, in in a, in a lot of places, it does feel a little brighter, and it doesn't feel as populated. And I started to think about that aspect of it, mm-hmm. and that's almost scarier. Like nobody's going, right. nobody's venturing out of their homes. No. And I'm sure um, that I'm sure that that was a, an extension of, you know, how we live today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, how no one kind of, you know, there's no interactions really with many other people. And and I started to think about, is Ryan Gosling his son? Uh, because the, the parts of the plot and the, the events of the plot say no. But what if, what if he is? What if he's the child and yeah. nothing, nothing coalesces a movement more? Than than an ex, than an assassinated martyr, than someone who gives his life for it. Uh, yeah. You can start your own your own religion there. That that gives you force. Um, right. And so then I'm starting to think about well, are there any things in the movie that kind of dictated that that, that indicated that? And I don't know. Uh, I've got to return to it again. But there's so, there's mm-hmm. a lot of different aspects of it that I I loved and I thought it was very imaginative. And I was mm-hmm. not offended by the musical score. I thought the musical score oh, what was, was very good. Wait, wait, who who was offended by the wait? Someone was offended by the musical score. No, I'm saying I was not offended by the musical oh. score because oh, okay, I, okay. I was I was I was offended by the Dunkirk musical score from Hans Zimmer. So I, oh, I thought, okay. oh God, oh, they're not there. Okay, they're okay, not. Okay, I got, I got. You. Okay, okay, I'm sorry. I didn't. Yeah, I was okay, like, they're okay, not going to okay. be able to. Please don't make them do Blade Runner and ruin that. And, and but they didn't. I thought it was good. No, no. It's you bring up something very interesting. It would have been, you know, Ryan Gosling was his son. It would have been the first time that one of Harrison Ford's popular characters would have a good son finally. Um, some, something you could look up to, a son that you could respect. Not a, not like an Indiana Jones, especially not as that bastard in Star Wars. Um, so that would have been a nice touch <laughs> if he was. It would have been good his first good son in the movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, I I uh, I responded to the movie and, and uh, to uh, most most deeply to its uh, depictions of the of the digital uh, mm-hmm. you know uh, companions uh, in it. Uh, I thought that was uh, that was a new place for the for the series to go. Uh, I just wish that it was. Uh, I don't know. I, I wish that it was a little uh, 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 trimmed out of just a little bit. I feel like the movie is a little too long. And uh, it is very indulgent. It's interesting, and I, I like that about it. I like that the scenes go on for ten minutes. Uh, 
like they're not scenes as much as set pieces, and they right. linger on them <laughs> for, right. for you know they're ten minute stretch scenes. Uh, there's and oh and and the holograms at the end that the fight at the end yeah. the Elvis holograms so wacky I, I, yeah. it was so imaginative that, I love that that, that was the real of the climax movie. of the movie to me uh, but the but uh, unfortunately you have that whole uh, second climax that, you know with the car that's sinking in the water and I just yeah. felt like that's kind of stuff that we've kind of oh, seen I, I before. Is yeah. awesome. The Las Vegas scene sequence is incredible. I like the movie. I think I wanted to love it. That was my problem. With yeah. The movie. It's not this, I wanted to, Jamie, I wanted to really love the movie. Yes. And I didn't. But I would definitely go back and revisit it. I might even buy it on Blu ray, to be honest with you. So um, I just wanted to love it, and I didn't when I, when I saw it. So, But I have no. I mean, it's, it's the most beautiful. I would have to say it's probably one of the most beautiful films of last year, though, hands down. Mm. Definitely one of the most beautiful looking films. Yeah, on a design and a photography basis, yes. Uh, my number five. My number five is a documentary from Daniel Rame. It's called Harold and Lillian: A Hollywood Love Story. It's uh, technically from 2015, but again, it got a theatrical release in the U.S. only at the beginning of this year. It tells the story of Harold and Lillian Michelson, uh, two shadow figures in the history of Hollywood who uh, forged a personal connection in their marriage, but uh, also ended up affecting uh, the look and the feel of so many of our uh, most treasured movies. And uh, they did all of this without credit in, in in most of their movies. Uh Harold Michelson was a uh was a storyboard artist. Uh Lillian was a uh or is a um a film research specialist researching uh uh the details of uh pe- certain periods in history and uh so she's there to create uh kind of uh a sense of realism in in uh movies like uh Ben Hur or uh Cleopatra or things like that but this movie <clears throat> this movie was like uh like I said earlier in the year I just felt like this was just like uncovering buried treasure uh mm. and uh the way that the film is done too with uh you know when it <clears throat> when it shows their past when it goes into their uh how they met and so forth it it go it, it does so with uh little uh you know sort of comic renderings uh of uh almost like comic strips uh and i, I thought that was very creative instead of using, you know, tired old stock footage or something like that. I thought it was uh, much more uh much more effective, especially in a movie about a storyboard artist, uh, to use the the um the artistry, the kind of artistry that goes into uh storyboards to illustrate its own story was I thought very creative. Uh and an incredibly 
moving movie. The only movie of the year that made me cry uh, with uh, with deep deep emotion. Uh, if you don't respond to this love story between uh, Harold and Lillian, uh, which really reaches over five or six decades, really, uh, uh, and their immense contribution to movies is just. Uh, I mean, if I were <laughs> if I were on the if I were on the Academy board, I would just. If I saw this movie, I'd be like, oh, we got to give Lillian Michelson a special Oscar. I mean, come on, this is ridiculous. The effect that they had on, on things like The Godfather or The Graduate or uh, things that we hold very dear to, uh, to our hearts, uh, I, just, I, I was blown away by it. Uh, this is the kind of documentary that, uh, you know, that, let you in on on a part of the world that uh, had been hidden from us. You know, it's very much that you I'm thought putting, you knew. Yeah. yeah, that you thought you knew. You know, or uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> I, I put it in the same category as something like Searching for Sugar Man. That, that that was just like, wow, how could I have how could I have gone through <laughs> all of my decades and not known anything about Sisto Rodriguez? I feel the same way about Harold Harold and Lillian. Uh it's uh it's that it's that level of extraordinary. You know, if you've seen Searching for Sugar Man, you know what I'm talking about. So uh I highly recommend everybody go and check this movie out. It will really, really uh blow your Especially mind. Especially our audience. You know, uh-huh. uh if you if you really love movies, you can't don't ignore this movie. Uh, don't let it pass you by, because um, I mean it's delectable if you're a movie lover, especially. Um, and I, I think, by and large, our audience appreciates the film history. I mean, I was at a record store the other night. And I was listening to this college couple uh, talking about the different artists they were passing, and the guy was like Madonna, and the girl said, "I've never heard her, but you know, I know she's an icon." And I'm thinking to myself, "There's somebody alive that hasn't heard, doesn't know who Madonna is." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, you'd be amazed, dude. You'd be amazed. I what mean, world yeah. am I living in? <laughs> yeah, I know. But... Your number four. My number four? Yeah. My number four is I saw it twice in the theater because the first time I goofed off because I was retired and I had to go back and see it again. Um, and that's I, Tanya. Um, and I really responded to this movie because it does something I just... I, I never thought I'd even see a movie. It makes Tanya Harding sympathetic. Um, and I think it's earned through Margot Robbie's performance, but it manages to make you forget all about Nancy Kerrigan. Um, but that's not why I liked it. I think there's a string of great performances in it. It's the movie gets at something really uglier and deeper about America. And let's, this is a little bit before OJ, if I'm not mistaken. This is a year before the OJ story become as part of our the last 25, 30 years of American history is really essentially tabloid history. It is not anything else. It's yeah. all tabloid history. And this movie, there's a line in the movie that I think sums up the movie that sums up our, just everything. When they... Um, 
my our favorite actor, Bobby um, Cavanaugh, is um is the guy from Hard Copy. I believe he's in Hard Copy. If I'm not in Hard Copy, and he says this is a throwaway line, but he says, "Hey, yeah, we're just the tabloid news. We're we're what you all would become." Basically, is what he says, and I don't think I've heard anything more accurate than that. Uh, everything has become so tabloid, so reality television, everything, and here we are, sort of at the forefront of that era. I mean, it happened before. You think current affair, Maury Povich, Jerry Springer. That's all going on as this is going on, but I mean, it just encapsulates that so perfectly. But given the performances of the movie, um, what chance did in, in the world of the movie what chances um, Tanya Harding has. She's getting, her mother is just the epitome of abuse, mental abuse. And then Jeff, Jeff Galuli, played by Sebastian Stan, who I think is really carving a second career as, um, for lack of a better word, as white trash, um, between this and Logan Lucky, mm. um, is he's physically abusive to her. So what chance did she have and I and I won't lie to you when when at the end and, and what what she knew what she didn't know that scene in the courtroom where she's told she'll never be able to escape again be allowed anywhere near skates and ice rink again and she says that's all she knows you really believe it and you feel for her mm. you actually do feel yeah. for her I know I don't don't get me wrong there's something Tanya Harding before this movie I would never even thought these things about so don't find her did not find her but through this movie you're just like that. You're just like, whoa. She has nothing. She really has nothing. It is nothing. interesting. Really it, it is interesting that there are two camps in this movie. Mm-hmm. There's 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 your camp, Jerry, and you're definitely not alone. Uh, and there's the camp that Dean and I are in, and we're not alone either. And so and Great. so we can we can point out our what we found missing in the movie. And right. the people on the other side thought that that's what they liked most about the movie that they actually found it that it you know right. so so i can i can say i i, I thought it, it 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 was you know kind of one dimensional characterizations of various characters the white trash right. characters but the counter argument is no it's not that at all it's much deeper and so it makes me feel like going back and watching it cuz maybe uh, maybe i missed something but uh there i think one of the main criticisms you actually pointed out it makes you forget all about Nancy Kerrigan and I think a lot of people yeah. find that distasteful. That the oh, victim, yeah, no, no. Uh, but, but Tanya Harding herself is a is a victim of her her life. Mm-hmm. Um, I I just think the movie wants to play it both ways. I think the movie wants to make fun of them and have you sympathize with them at the same time. I and agree. I, I I think I want to say I really wanted to go in thinking that, but I, you know, especially watching it a second time though. I didn't get the making fun so much. I think in some ways Logan Lucky does that more in many ways than this movie. But I, I mean, but I had to watch it again regardless. I had to go in and watch it. I wanted to watch it again uh, because I felt like, that's like I said, I was very tired the first time I watched it. That's also true of another movie that I need to go back and, and revisit too. Um, so I, but I understand. I can totally understand what both of you would reach that conclusion. Um, it's a, it's a valid, definitely a valid criticism. I mean, the thing about I'm still on the fence. What do I think about it? Basically, Kerrigan is al- is almost like a, a a throwaway character in the movie, and she's the central part of the movie, really. And she's um, her side of the story isn't there at all. Um, it just makes her a sympathetic character, not an empathetic character, but a sympathetic character, which I, I find extraordinary. Um, 
Well, I just and I, you know, I I, I think the strength of a movie it, it, it is empathy, and not necessarily yeah. sympathy because sympathy is sur- mm-hmm. surface, but empathy mm-hmm. is okay. I under I understand. Uh, right. Sympathy is oh, I feel so sorry for you. Um, well, I think so, it gets uh, to that. Towards the end, I felt that way. Um, I'll, I'll watch it again. I'll give it another chance. I, I mean, I do because because I respect your position on. I respect Aaron's position on it. He was defending it. Then again, Aaron likes <laughs> everything. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give it another shot. <laughs> I'm not going to give right. it another shot. I just felt like it was too radically uh, unpleasant for me, just the entire... That's, a, that's understandable. Dean, that's understandable. Dean, I completely relate to that. I can understand that. A completely scuzzy uh, feeling, uh, a feeling of dirt and grime uh, covered <laughs> me, which... Uh, while it was when it was over, I, I, which I guess is uh, a positive thing. Uh, the, the the movie is evocative, but uh, I, I I was just uh, I I just wanted out of there. <laughs> it's just yeah. like I've had enough already. Uh, it's like last house on the left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also, another movie I don't like. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> all right, so my my number four, uh, we're going to go over. It's unavoidable because uh, we can't talk about twelve movies in the next eleven minutes. Yeah. Okay. That, my number my number four is Brawl and Cell Block. Uh, what ninety nine? Yeah, Bra- uh, Brawl and Cell Block ninety nine. Yes, that's a great movie. And and for me, uh, this director S. Craig Zoller is uh, one of the most exciting new talents we have. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you go on Bone Tomahawk in this one, what he does with genre is, you know, uh, with with Bone Tomahawk, it was uh, a really legitimate Western. Uh, it yeah. felt like a very legitimate Western where they're, they're sitting around the campfire and they're going to hunt some people in the woods and they're philosophi- uh, philosoph- uh, philosophizing around the campfire and all that kind of stuff. And then it becomes a full-fledged horror movie. And he does the sure, same yeah. thing here. He does the same thing here, and, the, and and so in this one he goes from a gritty kind of seventies uh, crime movie that's uh, kind of pedestrian. Um, you know, it really takes his time building this, and you think, okay, it's a a guy that he's obviously a criminal, fallen on hard times. He wanted to do better, but uh, you know, and he doesn't want to see his woman again. There's that big scene where you can't come see me, you can't bring the baby to see me. I got to do my time. And, you know, it, it plays, you know, where it's going. And then almost imperceptibly, it becomes a balls-out exploitation movie. Mm. And if you, ha- if you have to pinpoint the point where that happens, I love it that that point is when Udo Kier comes on screen. <laughs> <laughs> because that's, that's just perfect. Uh, and when he, he comes into the prison and tells him what he has to do to save his wife. Uh, wife's life. Right. Uh, so I just, I thought it was a delicious movie. Uh, just, it's just such a, a lie, so alive and vivid. And somebody, you could feel their filmmaking fever. You could feel how mm-hmm. much fun they're having. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I, and the best Vince Vaughn performance. Like I said, when it first, when we first watched it, that it finally uh, uses his sides in a very meaningful way. It makes mm-hmm. that count. Um, so it's it's a revelation for him as well. It's a, just a great genre movie, inventive. I need 
this is the other movie that I need to watch again because I was very tired when I watched this. I did not, so I've been meaning to watch it again because I did like what I saw. I just can't. When you guys were talking about it, I realized, oh shit, I dozed off during this. Oh fuck, you know, there's some. Not because it's a bad movie, not a, but I just watched it very late on demand at night, and that was a mistake. I should not have done that. I've been meaning to go back, guys, and I really want. I almost bought it on Blu-ray this weekend. That's how much I want to see it again. Um, I rewatched it again uh, a couple of nights ago, and I was like, God, this is a fun movie. I mean, it's, yeah. it is so. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, it is boy. a fun. Yeah, definitely. What it, I remember, it, yes. It is. I mean, it is a brutal movie. But uh, uh, it is—it's got so much heart to it. Uh, um, the lead character is uh, is uh, incredibly complex. I think uh, more complex than a movie, <clears throat> any other movie with a character of this type would would probably be. Um, he's uh, he's uh, he's funny, uh, but uh, he does not. Uh, he does not mess around. I he, mean, you feel for him, though. You yeah. feel for the character. You yeah, do feel you, for him. You do, and uh, uh, when he has to get brutal, uh, you're a hundred percent. And uh, he doesn't hesitate. <laughs> he does not hesitate at all. <laughs> so, well, uh, and, there, and there's such humor in the movie. There is a great. See, I was uh, last week when I watched it for a second time. I was with my friend Rick and and a mutual friend of ours. We're all hanging out at his house. We're trying to decide what to watch, and I, and he said, "I got Brawl Brawl on Sub Sublock sixty ninety nine on uh, Blu-ray," and I said, "We got to watch that," and he was hesitant because both of them were thinking, "Oh, Jamie's going to show us this artsy shit." <laughs> and all we want to do is watch bad movies. So it started, and and the first the first forty five minutes really takes its time before the exploitation part of it kicks in. But once that kicked in, they were like, "Holy shit, this movie <laughs> is insane!" And it really is. There are moments of great humor in the movie, like when at the end when the the surgeon is ready to cut the fetus and all that kind of stuff, and Udo <laughs> right. Gear says, "Okay, we got to call it off." And it holds on that shot, and the surgeon looks so crestfallen. He was oh, so yeah. looking forward. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so it's such a fun, deal. offensive movie. It's so great. It, it is. It, it really is. And it's directed so uh, so beautifully. Uh, the, the look of it, uh, the, the, the color of it uh, is uh, – and then when yeah. it – when it goes down into the bowels of the prison, uh, its its ability yes. to show you the horror of that world with the glass on the floor of, the, of that particular room he he's forced to be in, or the the, right, the right, shit-filled right. toilet, you know, you can really you can really. It's a movie that evokes a sense of smell. <laughs> you know, yeah. even. And by the way, uh, I I lo- I love that Don Johnson's in that movie. And I oh, Don Johnson's fantastic in it. It's it's one of the joys of the movie. Don Johnson comes on screen, you're like, holy shit, he's in this, and and it just ups the game. You're like, oh god, this is great, just by seeing him make his appearance. It's uh, I can't recommend it enough. Like the most fun I've had at the movies. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I wish I could have seen it with an audience because uh, it would have yeah. been a great movie to see with an audience. Yeah, it, no, it, I agree. It deserves to be like a major midnight movie. 
Uh, I, and yeah. I think that I think that it's really flown under the radar for a lot of people. Uh, I uh, I don't see a lot of people who I think would be uh, embracing this movie wholeheartedly uh, doing so. Uh, it, it feels like people haven't seen it. Uh, Even the you, music. I mean, the the seventies crime stuff. You get uh, you have the original was, the original R and R and B stuff. That, that color the beginning of the movie, and then once it gets in the prison environment, you get the weird kind of grindhouse music, like the wah, 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 you know, the, the kind of off-putting, kind of weird synthesized stuff. Everything feels authentic to the genres in which it plays. Yeah. It, but it but it plays with those genres, I think, in a really exciting way. Well, uh, it, okay, adds, Dean, it adds heart to it, you know. That's the thing. So. Yeah. Okay, so number, number four. four. Number four is a movie that I just saw, so I'm still kind of processing it. Uh, but I do have to say that uh, it is a movie, again, like many of the movies in my top ten, that like really put me into another place and time. And it's Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread. Uh, I... Uh, wow. I mean, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still getting over it, really. But what an incredibly beautiful movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, first of all, okay, it's the first Paul Thomas Anderson movie that's okay to take your parents to. <laughs> so so that's kind of interesting. <laughs> really, seriously, because, I mean, he's he's a pretty racy filmmaker, and this, this is a... Uh, uh, this is a, a, a much more elegant, more elegant than any of his other previous movies, mm-hmm. which is really saying a lot, if you ask me. But uh, uh, God, every single thing in it was just gorgeous. Uh, every it car, is, every is. house, every uh, piece of clothing, every plate of food in it. Uh, uh, you know, ah, it was. It was just so gorgeous. I mean, uh, uh, and uh, I'm still processing, you know, what the movie means, really. I mean, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't oh, want to yeah. I mean, give anything away to people. <clears throat> a lot of different levels. Um, and I'm still processing a week after watching it, too. I wanted to put this very badly in my top ten. I really want I just want to watch it because it is a Paul Thomas Anderson film and needs to be watched again. It really needs to be watched again because there's so much going on in it. Yeah. Um, but it's no, I have no problem with the film. I just, Dean, I gotta be honest with you, I just didn't know where to put it, and I'm still thinking about it. It's it also, yes, beautiful. I'm, I'm one of the best soundtracks of the year too. I mean, uh, oh my um, God, the score, that Johnny Greenwood score. If people were enthusiastic about Johnny Greenwood's work before this, yeah. When you see, when you hear this score, yeah, it is, it is absolutely the most magnificent score of the year. Uh, it is uh, jazzy. It feels, it feels like an, uh, uh, it feels like a classical piece uh, that's mm-hmm. running all the way through it. Uh, unbelievable piano work, uh, and uh, it's, uh, you know. A thousand times more melodic than anything that had been in previous Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Very much so. It's True. it's it's not made up of like dissident tones and stuff like a lot mm-hmm. of his previous BTA. This this one is very like the movie itself. It's very contained, uh, very elegant, 
uh, with an undercurrent of menace. Uh, and and he's he's not making any mistake. Uh, you know, he is going to have academy. Uh, uh, he, he's going to have the academy consideration because this movie has like an hour and forty minutes of his music in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's it's not made up of any other sources. I mean, it it runs through the movie. Yeah, it's it, incredible. It, it, yeah, I mean, you, you've got to love a score that doesn't wear out its welcome. I mean, even though it is, it is basically a wall-to-wall score, uh, it takes a little bit of a break in the last third. But um, uh, it's, uh, you know, you, you want more of it. Uh, but uh, everything about it, I mean, uh, is so well studied every uh you know mm. I, I was i was i was fascinated with just the the close ups of things you know the 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 uh pins going into the into the uh the yeah. fabric and and mm-hmm. yes. uh the the scene where she's she's uh uh cooking up mushrooms in in an omelet for him yeah uh um and, and uh, the care with 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 which that was photographed uh so many little details in this cloistered world that uh that uh, uh Daniel Day-Lewis has set up for himself uh and also an amazing performance from not just from him but also Leslie Manville who I I could not even Great. recognize her I mean she's she's no, right there in your her. face that's Leslie Manville I can't believe yeah. it uh, absolutely. Well, and, 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 and yeah, fact, it's a crepes or crips or what is it? Is it crepes? Crepes, 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 yeah. I think, I don't know, but she's great. But she holds her own. Let's keep saying it until we get it right. I think she, crabs, uh, crabs. goes, goes toe to toe with Day Lewis. She is with him note for note. I think she yeah. is extraordinary in this movie. Yeah, I think it's is. such a beautiful performance. Uh, really, in so many ways, I think it's like one of the one of the performances of the year is hers, and that's and that's not discounting Daniel Day Lewis, who is uh, you could study him forever, you could mm-hmm. you could study his reactions and his the way he looks up with, with his eyes and suspicion or annoyance. Uh, you know, it's I'm going to be talking about it a little bit. Uh, number three for you, Jerry, is Colossal, which we talked about when it came out with Anne Hathaway. And it's just a great take, uh, um, deconstruction of, like, the monster movie, the, the giant monster movie. But as Tom is almost, you could almost say this is a precursor to the Me Too movement in many ways. Because it's about relationships, and it's about abusive relationships with her relationship with um, Jason Sudeikis in the movie. And you could say it's sort of a creative take on that. But it's also just, like, also plays on a much more um, childlike level. Like when we get angry and everything, and our anger how it manifests itself. In this case, when she was, when Anne Hathaway blacks out when she's drunk, she's a giant monster in Tokyo, uh, in Korea. She actually is somehow connected to this monster in in Korea that's destroying everything. So her actions do have consequences, and it's just a very creative movie. Um, but I, I, we've already talked about it, so I don't want to take up any time. But I, I really, I really responded very well to it. Um, yeah, I haven't been able to see it. Yeah. I was I was less okay. enthusiastic about it uh, uh, than, than you were, but uh, um, yeah, I, I can't even uh, articulate it exactly why now. Uh, but uh, I, you know, it it didn't hit me 
quite quite as well. But I think you have a you have a very very deep connection to uh, Jerry to the to the monster movie genre. The monster movie, but it's also but it's also very creative. I think it's 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 also the key to the movie is Anne Hathaway, mm-hmm. and it's a ballsy performance from her. Um, it, it really is, and for her to take such a part like that is a risk. But I actually think it pays off handsomely mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, number three for uh, number three for me um, is is the Florida Project. So we've uh, uh, Dean, you talked about it so well. So I'll just add that um, I it it made me look that I know that area so well. It's forty minutes away from me. I know that hotel. I know a motel rather. I know mm-hmm. where it is. I know that street. Uh, so, but so it's like somebody making a movie about your neighbors, and you discovering uh, this world that's familiar and yet uh, brand new. Mm-hmm. I, I love I love a movie that feels totally lived in, and this movie is that to a T. Mm-hmm. And I loved being in that environment, even as challenging and difficult and dangerous at times as it was. I like the fact that they showed these characters. They don't pass judgment on these characters. Um, they just show them as they are, flaws and all. It doesn't impose any judgment. I think a lot of people have problems with that kind of approach because we're in a society that really wants to to um, you know do that to people. To quantify people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, it leaves it open that way. Uh, I love Defoe in the movie. I love the kids in the movie. Uh, Defoe, for me, is never registered as strongly as he does here. Uh, and I absolutely think he deserves to win the, the Oscar. Mm-hmm. I don't think he will, but I think, he, I think he'll be the runner-up. But The ending. The only other thing I need to say about it that, that, uh, to add on to what you said. The ending, I thought was perfect. A lot of people have problems with the ending. Why I think it's perfect is because I don't think it's meant to be taken literally. Mm-hmm. Because no. the, the 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 tragedy of the movie is these kids exist in kind of the hopeless situation that they're in, <clears throat> and like children, they they create their own fun, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which I think is totally realistic. They're, mm-hmm. if, and and they're in this situation, and they are literally a stone's throw away from a children's wonderland, but they can never get there. That's yep. the tragedy of the movie. And so at the end, when they finally do, I think it's a flight of fancy. I, I, I don't think it's literal. Yeah. I don't think it's a coincidence no, that the one area of the film where there's score is that closing. I mm-hmm. think that, that tells you right there, yes, this is imagination. Uh, and I think that makes it more heartbreaking. Um, mm-hmm. So I, it's an incredible movie. It really, it really is. I, I yeah. love that movie, and I was awed by it. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a it's it's a great movie. Uh, absolutely devastating. Um, number three for me is my girl Greta Gerwig's movie Lady Bird, which we've talked about uh, quite a bit on the show. But can I just say this is a perfect movie? <laughs> to me, it's, it just feels perfect. Uh, I could not find a flaw in this movie if I watched it a hundred times. I really. There's so much rich detail in everything in it. 
but you know you know key amongst everything is is Gerwig's script, which is constantly funny, and her direction keeps things moving at a quick pace. Things never get dull or overworked in it. Uh, we're always moving on to the next thing, and uh, it makes the movie fly by. Uh, it is so funny, so feels so real to me. And uh, again, another movie with a strong sense of place. Uh, this, uh, you know, of course, Sacramento is her hometown, uh, Gerwig's hometown, and um, you can sense her her love for it, her uh, renewed love for it. Even though she was a, you know, she escaped it and went to New York, yeah. as the character does uh, in it, uh, but. Uh, Again, another <clears throat> astounding ensemble. I mean, mm-hmm. there's nobody bad in this movie. <laughs> there's no, every, no, every little character uh, is uh, is superbly well drawn. Um, it's uh, it's a remarkable uh, a remarkable movie. Uh, I mean, it, it just is. It, it's got. A beautiful look to it from Sam Levy's uh, photography, and and then uh, you know that uh, great John Bryan score, uh, one of my favorites mm-hmm. of the year, uh, and of course the you know I got to go back to the performances. I mean Saoirse Ronan, uh, Beasley Feldstein, uh, uh, Laurie Metcalf as the mother, of course. Uh, which you know, I hope she she comes out on top of, at the Oscars instead of Allison Janney, uh, because as much as I appreciate Allison Janney's performance, and she she did a fantastic job uh, creating that Harridan in uh, I Tanya, I feel like that's more of a one note performance, uh, and I feel like uh, you know Laurie Metcalf is. Uh, it's just just more grounded in reality. Uh, yeah, no, she's very good. There's no doubt about that. No, the whole, every performance, as you said, is, is great. I mean, Tracy no, Letts, no doubt about that. Uh, yeah. the the depressed father who uh, is forced to go out and and look for jobs, being underlings to people who are half of his age. I thought that was, uh, you know, incredibly touching. And uh, the the father daughter relationship in it is uh, is is very very sweet, and um, God, I just oh Lucas Hedges, oh, he's so good in it. Uh, oh God, that, that one scene, that, that scene one where scene he where breaks he, down. Yeah. Oh. oh yeah, yeah, that's one of the most devastating scenes of the year. Uh, and uh, God, it's such a great movie. I, I just can't can't get over it. Uh, uh, how how perfect it is, uh, you know. Uh, I, I'm, I'll definitely be watching this one uh, again and again in coming years. Yeah, uh, yeah. I could I could easily see it being a comfort movie for me. Uh, but uh, you know, what can you say? It's uh, it's uh, it's it's brilliant. You know, sorry, 
<laughs> sorry, people. Nothing, there's nothing to be sorry about. Nothing if to be you, sorry if, about. What is there to be sorry about? Well, I you know, I, I mean, some people denigrate it because, ah, oh, it's just a coming-of-age movie. It's just this. But it's, it's just her coming-of-age story, and it's told very well. Let's not forget, Greta Gerwig really, we don't want to, no one wants to really say this. If there was no Greta Gerwig making those Mumblecore movies, you would have no Lena Dunham. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget that. Yeah, well, some, some Greta people Gerwig. blame her for that. <laughs> but I don't know. But, I mean, Greta Gerwig is a lot more articulate, I think. Than I think Lady Bird does what girls wishes it could do. I don't understand that right I now. I, I don't understand the criticism movie to kind of minimalize it by saying coming of age. I, I mean, it is a coming of age movie, but it, it, aren't we all looking for a human experience? And isn't that something that every single person who's ever lived has experienced? Like, yeah. there's a moment when you come of age. Uh, it, it, like, is it not like obtuse enough for you? Uh, so I don't know. It, there's no pleasing it, some people. I mean, there's no pleasing some people. That's all you can say. I okay, think what happens. Uh, I think what happens at the end of the year is they're just uh, when the Oscars come around, there there tends to be a sort of a blood sport mentality uh, to try and take certain titles down uh, to uh, to denigrate them. Yeah. Uh, why can't we just uh, enjoy them for what they are? You know. Exactly. That's that's uh, that's what I want people to do at least. But uh, okay. Okay, uh, Jerry, right, number, two. number two. My number two, very quickly, is The uh, Lost City of Z. That is my number two. I really, um, another movie I responded to earlier in the year, um, it just evokes a old-fashioned kind of movie making, a David Lean kind of uh, aesthetic to it that I really appreciate. And we, brought, we talked about this earlier in the year when it came out, so I don't want to take up any more time on it, but I just really felt very strongly about it. Um, I still think about it quite a bit. And I, and I just thought it was a very, a very beautiful-looking movie, but also just a very good movie about exploration. And also a very good movie just about movies and what movies should be about, I think, sometimes. Just, just about exploring things. This was about an explorer and his son. And I, and I just I just really – it was just the kind of movie you don't see anymore. Mm-hmm. That's what really took me about. That's if I wouldn't have seen anything. What we talked about when your friend was on the show when that when this came out and the, the one where we couldn't hear your friend because he sounded like he was calling from, like, Zimbabwe or something, <laughs> yeah. um, but yeah. uh, but no, it was that uh, it just it was like the kind of movie. What I think struck this is the kind of movie you don't see much of anymore, or hardly at all. So I really appreciate appreciated that aspect of it. Really, it it, it resonated with me very strongly. Mm. Um, not that Lady Bird and Phantom Thread did not resonate with me, but I think they, especially Phantom Thread, I just still processing unfortunately. So I didn't know where to put it. That's my main. Thing with Phantom Thread, it's not. I loved everything about it. I just don't know where to put it right now. Um, I would need to watch it again, but that's that's my number two, Lost City of Z. Mm. Okay, I haven't seen it, so I have nothing to say. About okay, it. <laughs> that's fine. No, that's fine. That's fine. I, I just see we're going um, around here. So, <laughs> uh, okay, my number two and my number one are interchangeable. Uh, so I mean, uh, you know, you can flip a coin with how, how much I liked both equally. But I, I have to make a decision. And uh, so I always go for the feelies over the intellectual. <laughs> so that determined the order. My number two is Phantom Thread. I think that it is such an incredible movie about the power dynamics of a relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, one of, it's one of those movies that's like a, a, surge, a surgeon's precision on that topic. 
<clears throat> I like the world it's set in. <clears throat> it does transport you into a different world. Uh, and that's why you need that actor as committed as Daniel Day-Lewis, because you need to believe that that person lives to make those dresses. And mm-hmm. it's a perfect world for that character because it's, he's in command. He knows exactly how to make things pretty. Everything fits in that world. Mm-hmm. And the relationships are completely different. Um, and so I, I, I love the way that the power, that the, the, the power dynamics in, in it's one of the, another one of those things that are almost imperceptible. Like at some point in the movie, and we know we know when really, but the power is in her court, mm-hmm. uh, and and she has his number. Um, and I, I love the ending because uh, upon reflection, what it tells me is he goes from woman to woman, and the 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 act of like breaking up and then meeting someone else and starting another relationship. That's almost the act of being broken down and rebuilding yourself again. Mm-hmm. Uh, she knows, she knows that, uh, that about him. She knows that she can fulfill that. So she can break him down and she can rebuild him again. That's the power that she has. And he never mm-hmm. has to leave her mm-hmm. uh, because he can get that, to get that whole process from one person and kind of be re-energized. Um, and so the ending made perfect sense to me, even though it was a complete surprise when it happened. Um, the acting is just extraordinary. What I think a lot of people are going to miss is just how damn funny the movie is. Yeah. There are parts of the movie that, uh, what do you say, it sounds like a horse running through here. <laughs> <laughs> He's bothered by every single noise. Uh, you know, I, and it's a fascinating character. And I, I think the more you watch the movie, the more you're going to pick up on little in, uh, in, uh, in, um, in idiosyncratic behaviors that reveal more about the characters and what the movie yeah. is saying about relationships. It's such a, like a tightly controlled movie because the movie is just like that lead character. But uh, I think it's such a relevant, rev, revelatory movie about relationships. Yeah. Uh, and I can't wait to keep watching it. You know, find yeah, it. I can't uh, wait to I can't wait to watch it again. Uh, I'm, I definitely I'm, want to watch it again. I mean, I'm, definitely. I'm really looking forward to going back to the theater to check it out, which is, is always a good sign. Uh, I, I think. Uh, I think. You know, like it's true. What are you going to say? He's he's one of our greats. He's a treasure, and uh, uh, and he's not like he's not appreciated enough at all. I mean, I'm sorry. This, the, love, the, the, the lack of love the film is getting is, is, is bewildering to me. So, uh, I mean, luckily the National Society of Film Critics really responded to it and pretty much put it in the top three of almost every category. So, uh, maybe, but maybe, yeah, yeah. I, I just find that people are. <clears throat> I wonder if people were expecting something from Paul Thomas Anderson that they're not. I, obviously, they're they're not. There's something that they're not getting. They're, they're that they want. Movies, the last two movies, this, including this one, are very funny movies. This is a very funny movie, and that's what I, I like. You said that that breakfast sequence where he's buttering the toast. <laughs> I, you, know, you can't help but just burst out laughing. No. I mean, you're just like. The use of yeah, sound. Yeah, they're, they're, in, I, I, I saw it. I saw it in the theater with three other people. I was, I was laughing out loud. Like 
And I don't yeah. know if the other three people in the theater knew what to take it for. It's like a, it, it's a really twisted Merchant Ivory movie. It's, uh, uh, <laughs> it, it, and 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 you don't realize how twisted it is until it progresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think, oh, it's it's like a, you're really seeing like like I said, like almost surgery, human nature and relationships and power dynamics. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very precise in that, just like the lead character himself is. And then you realize what it's doing uh, fully by the end of it. Or you don't. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people don't get it. They think it comes out of left field. No, it doesn't. It's surprising, but it's completely consistent with a theme. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so I, I was quite taken with it. Mm, yeah. Okay, Dean, you're number two. My number two is uh, Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, which I revisited mm-hmm. the other night, and uh, I still find astounding and exciting. Um, I, uh, you know, I really, really love the craft of it. Uh, talk about a David Lean type movie. I mean, this is this oh, yeah, is no, no, the no. definition of of that, and uh, I. Uh, I love its spare quality. I love the fact that, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, didn't respond to the the fact that it doesn't have any real recognizable characters in it uh, that that we can really glom onto. But for me, it's uh, it's a movie about the struggle of an entire uh, nation. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's it's the struggle against an evil. Uh, an insurmountable evil, and uh, we really should be on the side of everyone that we see struggling to survive in it, uh, regardless of their own personal stories or whatever. Right. Uh, we're really all in this together, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that's what the movie is really about. Um, but uh, the. Uh, the work that went into this film uh, to uh, get this get this uh, this incredible conflict uh, dramatized on screen is unbelievable. I mean, the the work that they put into this uh, beautiful editing. I like the Hans Zimmer score. I, I know it's uh, uh, I know it's wall to wall and it's uh, it's very grating. I wouldn't want to sit down and listen to the soundtrack, <laughs> but as an effect in the movie, I think it's incredibly powerful. And uh, you know, just on a craft level alone, uh, editing, sound, uh, effects, invisible effects. By the way, I would I would say if there are any. <clears throat> any digital effects in this movie I, I can't see them uh they're com- they're completely obscured uh it just really looks like it's happening in front mm-hmm. of us and i will say that the movie does improve with uh with uh, subtitles <laughs> so, uh, you know i think i think that's that's a good thing so when i watched it again you know i had the subtitles on and uh i i find it quite moving uh, uh you know the whole thing with the the father uh, on the little boat, played by uh, Mark Rylance, and his son and his son's friend, and uh, oh, it's uh, uh, it's uh, oh God, I just you know by by the end of the, 
end of the movie when they uh when the son goes into uh to the newspaper office to memorialize uh his friend and uh give him the one you know great thing that he was able to accomplish in his life even though it's not that great really uh it just shows again it, it illustrates the theme of the movie which is we're, we're all in it together and uh i don't know i uh i really as a big screen entertainment i uh really really loved it uh which is you know it, i don't always respond that well to christopher nolan but uh but this one this one really did it for me um, so that's that's my second second movie of the best movie of the year, um, easily. Okay. All right. Another, oh, are we all, are we all up to number one now? We're all up to number one. All right, Jerry, you're number one. My number one, I, I think, is very predictable. I just went, I just went with like um, my, a movie that I've revisited constantly. And I just I went with completely with genre this time. Logan, I had to pick Logan. I'm sorry. I mean, I really I responded to it more than I ever thought I would. Um, it just took the comic book genre and took it to places where I think it finally needed to go. Um, and it's just a great uh, swan song for Hugh Jackman. And what I really like about the movie more than anything else, you don't have to see the previous films to appreciate this movie. It's it, you, you. I don't. You don't even. I don't even think you need a how to say it, a passing knowledge of any previous X Men films. It might help in some parts, but it's really just like we took the un, took Unforgiven and put it in a comic in the X Men universe. But we did this as the old the old man Wolverine character, and it's just a very fitting swan song to the character. And I just I just we we talk, I thought this year was a banner year for that type of movie. But especially this film did it best, and it's just very enjoyable. And um, I just had to give it recognition somewhere. And I just thought that was my favorite film of last year. Of mm. All those. I just thought. I mean, it's not only good performance from him. I think Patrick Stewart's very good. I think there are little sub stories that are very good. I also like the way it plays with the X Men myth, makes fun of it almost. There's one scene where he holds up all the comic books and he says, "This is all. You do realize this is all fantasy." None of this stuff happened. I mm. thought that was a great little touch. Um, but I also like also James Mangle, great director, really good. We talk about um, you were talking about um, journeyman directors. He might be he might fit that mold. Being he may very well fit that mold. Yeah, talking about. I mean, something like Three Ten to Yuma, Copland. Obviously, his first movie, Heavy, which is very good. Um, but he has managed. To found something here with the, the previous film, The Wolverine, but does it so much better here, I think, by getting out of the whole comic book mythology of it and just making, telling a really good story. And I just felt uh, of a year where there have been other good films, like The Galaxy 2 or The Amazing Spider-Man, which I know Jamie responded to, um, or Spider-Man Homecoming, um, you know, I just thought this did it best. Um, and, I, and I just wanted to, to acknowledge it somewhere. It was a good year for this genre. Yeah, really. It really uh, was Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman 2. We can't forget Wonder Woman. You yeah. have to put that in there, too. Yeah. Uh, and uh, um, and even Thor Ragnarok, to tell you the truth. Yeah, uh, that's a fun movie. That's a fun movie, too. A yeah. lot of fun. Um, yeah. 
So they're they're doing nice stuff with the with the genre. I think uh, uh, it's it's good to it's good to see. Uh, for me, Logan is great up until about uh, a certain point in it, and then when it goes into that the kids at the end, I feel like I mm-hmm. I lose it a little. It loses me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the first uh, the first two thirds of it, I thought were magnificent. I think a common response I got to talking to people about it from lots of people, where was this movie, the previous entries? Why couldn't we get a good movie like this, the previous entries of this mm-hmm. whole series? Why do we have to wait till the end mm-hmm. to get to this? Because mm-hmm. before we have the Brian Singer X-Men Apocalypse, which is a chore to sit through. Um, so it, it was really interesting that we have to wait till, and it's you know it took some of the stuff from the well, old. It's also, it's also so, a benefit. It's also the benefit of the movie that uh, it's not having to focus its attention on a dozen main characters. Yeah, that's always a help. That's, that is wonderful what a, about it. That, that is a great thing. That really is a really nice touch. It and by the way, Daphne Kane in it is fantastic. See, I yeah. think so. See, you talk about that part, but I think the end, the, the eulogy she gives, where she's essentially reciting the last lines of shame, um, which she watches with Patrick Stewart, which I thought was a very a little emotional scene, but where she basically recites the end of shame as his eulogy, I thought was just really touching. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was a great touch. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I just wanted to put this in there somewhere. Um, so that's my number one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's an original list you got, Jerry. I mean, really, it is. It is I don't. Good. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I. I didn't want to tamper with it too much. I had written it out a couple of days ago, and I just didn't want to tamper with it that much. So. No, it's um, it's, it's a testament to who how different we are, which is great. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. If we all were on the same page about every, and I like to look, and I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's absolutely not. But no. if we're all on the same no. page about everything. Yeah. Uh, that would be boring as anything. So. Mm, yeah. Great. Okay. My number one, uh, I won't belab- I won't belabor it. Uh, like I said, it could have easily been number two in Phantom Thread one, but I always give the edge to the movies that give me the feelies, and <laughs> that's my weakness. And uh, but uh, Lady Bird is absolutely uh, it, it's mm, not just cool. it's not like a, it's not a sentiment. It is a it's the good t- type of sentiment in that it 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 exists um, from a very informed place from a place of uh, an adult looking back at herself as a teenager and thinking, I didn't know everything. Why didn't I value that more? Mm. I'm, you know, right. and, and being sentimental for that in, in a very smart kind of uh, developed way, evolved way. Um, I, I, I love the movie because it isn't smarmy. I love the movie because it's open-hearted and because it is very smart about um, human nature, about uh, the, how a child sees their parents throughout the years, how they, mm-hmm. how they don't appreciate things and they come to appreciate them. It's wholly human and, and very, very smart about people, uh, very compassionate. The, the parents, I expected that the parents would just be like in Juno, you know, all the adults would be buffoons. Um, but they won't. But they aren't. <laughs> I mean, uh, the did Laurie Metcalf and uh, Tracy Letts are just so wonderfully rendered, uh, not only in performance but in the script. I love an open-hearted movie that's smart about 
human beings, and the ladybird was the best of that for me. Yeah, 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 it is. It's fantastic. Um, Well, number one, of course, is for me, is Mother, uh, Darren Aronofsky's amazing, uh, one-of-a-kind film. There's nothing out there like it. There never will be. Uh, Sitting in that theater, watching that movie for the first time was one of the most unforgettable feelings I've ever had in a movie theater. Uh, just a feeling of never knowing what was next. Uh, really, That's true. The, That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> you really just like, even in the first half of it, which is relatively you know calm in comparison to what we get in the second half, even in the first half of it, you're just Wow, <laughs> what is going on here? I think that this is a movie that can be uh, that can be read a thousand different ways, which I love. Um, I uh, and I guess I just I just responded to just the fact that it was I you know I've just never seen anything like it. I mean, the only thing that can come close. Is maybe something like, you know, Exterminating Angel, uh, the the Bunuel film. But how right. how long has it been since since anybody referenced anything as crazy as that in a mainstream movie like this? I mean, we're talking. This was not a little art film. This is a big movie. I mean, the, yeah, uh, the, it is is it is massive. Uh, it's got. Incredible special effects, incredible makeup effects, incredible art direction, uh, uh, very, very athletic uh, uh, photography to it. Uh, it is uh, it is a movie that, that comes from uh, just the deepest, deepest visionary place. Uh, it's tough to watch. Parts oh, that, but that's a good. I think that's a compliment, though. Yeah, I think that's a praise. It's 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 funny you bring up Exterminating Angel based on this movie, and uh, we talked about you were growing up when we talked about Exterminating Angel. I bought this in the last Criterion sale. I bought Exterminating Angel based on what you said and what he said about it, as it was an influence on the movie. So that just shows you the power of the movie, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. just, I thought I'd throw that in there. So, um. But uh, you know, uh, it is uh, it is just utterly unlike anything I've ever seen, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I just had to give it to to uh, to Aronofsky uh, this year. I mean, he 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 does not uh, he does not shy away from anything. He is definitely one of our bravest filmmakers. Uh, yeah. He is a, he's a deep thinker, uh, and a uh, I think that this is a, a, a in some ways a confessional movie. Um, and I love that aspect of it too. Of course, I love to you know to to, to read it as a as a uh, you know an environmental screed. Um, it definitely works that way. But it's what's amazing about the movie is it's kind of like it's kind of like a this is like a a funhouse mirror <laughs> of a movie. You know, it's just right. It is just uh, it is, it is 
it is constantly pulling the rug out from under you. And um, I know that's not what people go to the movies for, I guess, sometimes these days. But they should be. Well, <laughs> they, sh- they should. They should. There should be room for us going to the movies and really getting shaken up. And oh, that's, absolutely. That's what this movie does. And I also think that this movie uh, uh, portrays the chaos of the world in a uh, in a very very palpable sense. The chaos of an unmanageable world. Uh, that you know, if you were going to sit down to if, with a bunch of executives and say, "Yeah, I want to make a movie about the chaos of the unmanageable chaos of the world," <laughs> do you think that they <laughs> they're not going to go for it? Not. I don't think they're going to. Most of the time, they're going to respond to you unless they no, know you the have problem. the goods. That's the problem with you, if you sell it like that, I actually, and I don't mean to believe you know. I, there's, a, there's a level of misogyny in the film that I thought I, that resonated with what, what happened over the years. There's a level of misogyny in the movie that is it's just um, unmistakable. That just, there's a level, of, I mean, towards her especially, towards Jennifer Lawrence that I felt that was there, that you could read it as a very misogynistic. Not as that, that Darren Aronofsky is misogynistic, but the world that we live in is incredibly misogynistic. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I mean... Uh... You know, obviously she gets beat up quite a bit. Yeah, in it. yeah, and uh, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, but she wants to. She wants. She wants to impose order on things that are going getting out of order, right. and that's where that's where the blowback comes comes for her. Yeah. Uh, uh, she she wants to contain. The worst nature of of the of the other humans who are invading this this thing. By the way, it's a great uh, for it's it's a horror movie for for introverts. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, yes. which I think is a, a great. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I think that's where it has a lot in common with things like with filmmakers like Roman Polanski. Uh, uh, to have your space being invaded. Mm-hmm. Uh, is uh, horrifying to some people. Uh, I'm definitely, oh, yeah. I'm definitely one of those people. And in fact, it, it, it shares some some uh, elements with Phantom Thread in that in that re, uh, well, regard. Yeah, they too. take place in a lot of the ways in, inside. Yeah, seeing there are. Yes, yeah, definitely that. I mean, his world is you know he wants order and you know he doesn't can't get it all the time. I mean, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Mother will will just always be, you know, it might not be a movie that I'll want to pop in for just anybody or whatever. Mm. You'd have to be a very special person to uh, sit down and watch this movie with me. But uh, uh, I, I, it's definitely the most memorable time I've had at the movie theater this year. So for me, it had to be number one. Uh, it's just, uh, I, I, I wish... I wish the whole world could embrace it um, more. But I believe that this will be considered one of the great movies in a decade. People will oh, I yeah. think so, yeah. In, 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 t- in 10 years, in 10 years the, the, there will be articles written about how how do we miss Mother uh, as, a movie, as, as a movie that summed up the culture better than any. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I, I believe that. I definitely believe that. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So I definitely want to be on 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 top of that. But uh, other movies that didn't make my list, uh, I love uh, uh, you know uh, love Brawling, Cell Block ninety nine. That would be number eleven for me. Then The Square from Sweden, uh, Loveless from Russia, uh, Obit, uh, the documentary about the New York Times Obit writers, uh, Three Billboards, uh, Maudie, Get Out, Lucky, uh, and uh, Lucky is so amazing with that great Harry Dean Stanton performance, and uh, Voyeur, uh, the documentary, and uh, mm. Crown Heights, Uh and uh, you know, it, it was a very rich year. I could go on to twenty, you know, to five more. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the, the death of Louis the Fourteenth, that great movie from France by Albert Serra, is is fantastic. Yeah, with uh, Jean Pierre Leot is uh, as Louis the Fourteenth on his deathbed throughout the entire movie. The Big Sick. Uh, yeah, like, that's a, that's another one. Yeah, that's another. That's a great one. The Big Sick. I mean, yeah, definitely. Uh, Menashe. I don't know if um, many people need to have seen that, but uh, the movie that takes place in uh, in the uh, Hasidic uh, community in New York City, uh, great character study, uh, uh, Victoria and Abdul, and uh, I like a little film called Mr. Roosevelt by Noel Wells. I think that was I watched that last week on your recommendation. It was very good. It was funny, very wasn't it? Yeah, yes. very funny. Uh, I mean, when you realize that it's you're like you're a cat, though, you're just like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, you're just like. But no, I thought it was what well, I thought it was a great vehicle for her. What we know about her, what you know, for her, I thought it was like you know, we talk about every you know, an artist putting all their heart into the movie, and she put everything she had, given what we know about her as a performer. Mm-hmm. I know she was like putting, you know. It is a flip side to Lady Bird in many ways, um, a different yeah. kind of, but a very personal movie, obviously, to Noah Wells. Um, but, you know, I would have to add, I would like to add, yeah, right out, hovering outside of Phantom Thread would be like right, like, like 11 and Lady Bird and obviously Three Billboards. I want to also add another Patty Cakes. It was a movie I really liked a lot, as was um, Ingrid Goes West for some other movies that really I responded to mm. um, last year. Yeah, nice strong and for me. It's, uh, it's uh, uh, Blade of the Immortal, which is just a great yes, uh, mm-hmm. kick-ass samurai movie, yeah. uh, and um, Eagles of Death Metal, which was probably the most moving documentary I saw last year. And then um, what's it? The My Happy Family, which is another. It's a foreign film about a, a Georgian family, and I'm talking about Georgia. Uh, not the state. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no. I know, I know, I know. Uh, you know, and the the the, the fam, like many families in that region, there, uh, uh, all the families sit there. The 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 grown up children, their girlfriends, their wives, the husband, the mother, uh, every everyone, and uh, a mother that feels like she did her job. She raised her kids. They don't want to leave the house, but she wants to know what life is like on her own. Uh, mm-hmm. So she gets her own gets her own place. I thought it was really a, a special movie. Um, so yeah, it's been a, the one movie I did get to see that I most wanted to was Loveless. I just could not uh, could not find it, so mm. I wasn't able to see it. But uh, it's a good movie for movies from all over the world. It was a good movie. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. A lot of stuff to like, and and I, a lot of great television. 
uh, a ridiculous amount of great television this year. Uh, you know, of course, a lot of people, including uh, Twin Peaks, into their top ten list. Uh, I don't want to go that far, but uh, you know, uh, it, it, it was certainly that was uh, one it, of the joys of the year. Uh, yeah, I, and I'm not talking about the entire run. Uh, I'm talking about watching that first episode and coming to the realization yeah. it, it actually is a real thing. It's happening. Twin Here Peaks it is. is back on yeah. TV. Yeah. Uh, that was one of the joys of last year for me. Yeah, and there's yeah. nothing like that eighth. Ep- there's nothing like that eighth episode. Boy, that was some. Yeah, can yeah. I add a uh, one movie, one more movie that we didn't talk? Just Brigsby Bear with Mark Hamill and Kyle Mooney. That was a cute little movie. Um, yeah, we mentioned the Mark Hamill movie, and it's not Star Wars. Yes, um, but <laughs> it's, um, but it was a good, it's a very good indie movie. We're talking about indie movies. It was just good. Where uh, it was a good, a good vehicle for Kyle Mooney, I thought, um, from Saturday Night Live. So that was another one. That was under the radar that I thought was very good. Mm. Yep. So it was a good, it was right. a good year. Next week, Maybe Oscar that's what predictions. We'll close, we'll close the show on Frank Sinatra singing, it was a very good year. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Let's do it. That's fun. Or we could close the show on William Shatner singing, it was a very good year. <laughs> That Let's might, do that. We might not get sued for, might not get sued okay. for that, though. Um, <laughs> From The Transformed Man, one of my favorite albums. <laughs> All right. Seventeen. It was a very good year. It was a very good year for small town girls and soft summer nights. We'd hide from the lights on the village green. When I was seventeen, when I was twenty-one, it was a very good year. It was a very good year for city girls. Who lived up the stair with perfumed hair that came undone when I was 21? When I was 35, it was a very good year. 
was a very good year for blue-blooded girls of independent means. We'd ride in limousines, or their chauffeurs would drive. When I was 35. But now the days are short. I'm in the autumn of the year. And now I think of my life as vintage wine from fine old cakes. From the brim to the dregs it poured sweet and clear. It was a very good year.